If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. voter fraud, COVID, pandemic, lockdowns, inflation, crop shortage, toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bet? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food, shouldn't you? So ask yourself, do you currently have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparedness company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong. So head on over to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So if you're on my website listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiling face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. Or... You can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Be prepared. 
All right. Welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Southern Sense. You're here listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Network, and, oh, ah, good Lord, YouTube, iTube, <laughs> whatever, tube, Facebook. <laughs> oh, my goodness. iHeartRadio, whatever. I am your hostess with the least Moses, the radio chickadee, and my computer is just playing havoc on me. So if you're watching over on Facebook, trust me, nothing is going right today. It's as if Friday the 13th is falling three days early. <laughs> so I'm your hostess with the least is the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my, oh, so patient, so courageous, so tolerant co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, Curtis. Wow. <laughs> Wow, it's going to make my head swell. I'm going to float away out of this chair. <laughs> that means you're a real pisser. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> anyway, want to welcome everyone that's here listening and in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as that's over on Facebook. For some reason, I have a problem with YouTube. I don't know what the heck is going on with YouTube today. I don't know if I got banned or whatever, but I can't get the video up on YouTube. So we're up on Facebook for now until they ban us over there. And then we'll move to somewhere else. Anyway. Hey, um, it's, it's possible they got a problem with you. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. You know, they don't like the truth anymore. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Anyway, we got ourselves a fantastic, fantastic lineup today. Uh, we're going to start off the show uh, with a dedication to our fallen heroes. We'll get to that in a moment, but we're going to start off our guest list lineup is starting off with former Florida Lieutenant Governor Carol, uh, Jennifer Carroll, uh, followed by James Kitfield. He's the author of Company of Heroes, and oh my goodness, he wrote this fantastic book about Medal of Honor winners. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say winners. That's, that's not the proper word. Awardees. You don't try to compete to get the Medal of Honor. You know, you are awarded it because... You went above and beyond what is humanly expected of you uh, for recipients during Afghanistan and Iraq. And then we've got a Marine Corps veteran of the Afghanistan war, uh, Max Beckwith. He is running for uh, Congress from North Carolina's 7th District. And then we're going to have a short little segment with Robert Walker, He's the uh, New York Regional Director of Chosen People Ministry. This is really interesting because there is a link between Israel and the United States. And right now, with President Biden, it's very precarious. So we're going to be talking to him about that. And then we're going to follow, finish this. Uh, the, 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 see, I can't even talk today. I cannot even talk today. Uh, we're going to end the show with our Heritage Foundation Guest of the Week. James Carafano. He's a, a lieutenant colonel, uh, retired, uh, also um, an author. Uh, he is the vice president for the National Security and Foreign Policy of the Heritage Foundation. So we got ourselves a jam up show. Matter of fact, I'm yeah. dizzy before we even start. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, is our last guest Italian? Yeah, think. sounds like an Italian name. Yeah, Italiano. Italiano. Yeah, a paisano. <laughs> a paisano. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, 
those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to the fallen hero. But today's show is going to be different. Tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And today's show is going to be dedicated to the heroes and fallen of 9-11-2001. And there's a little known story and God bless Newsmax and One American News, because they're the only ones that are really talking loud and proud about this. But on 9-11-2001, we had our own version of Dunkirk. Now, in 1940, on May 26th to June 4th of 1940, over the English Channel in Francis Dunkirk, the Allies retreated and brought and evacuated 3,038, I'm sorry, 338,226 soldiers and sailors. They were from the United Kingdom, Belgium, Canada, France, India, Netherlands, Poland, West Africa. Over a quarter million, 330,000 were evacuated over that time period many of them by private vessels, and many of them under fire. It was a total number of British ships alone of 693. Of those evacuating these men back in 1940, 226 were sunk. Fast forward to September 11th, 2001 our own Dunkirk. Over, over half a million people were stranded in lower Manhattan. In fact, all the bridges and tunnels were closed to vehicle traffic. Over 150,000 walked across the Brooklyn Bridge alone. The Coast Guard created their own Dunkirk and got vessels everywhere from the fire department, coast guard, tugboats, ferries, the Staten Island Ferry being one of them, private vessels. And they've evacuated in nine hours over half a million people on these vessels. It was unprecedented, the largest evacuation in such a short period. In total, over 150 vessels and 600 sailors worked the maritime convoy to and from Manhattan. As they went into Manhattan, they brought first responders and people vol volunteering to help in the rescue effort. Steel workers, construction workers, medical workers, anyone and everyone that was willing to help at Ground Zero, including our first responders, law enforcement, firefighters, emergency services. And over the difficult days that followed, they brought them back and forth. The Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral, Admiral James Lloyd, said that the evacuation of more than half a million civilians from Lower Manhattan moved more people from the island than 1940 evacuation of the Allied troops from France. Indeed, the boat lift of 9-11 eclipsed the evacuation of 3,338 
thousand. I'm sorry, I can barely even talk. I'm upset. Three hundred and thirty-eight thousand two hundred twenty-six soldiers from Dunkirk. And to not just speak of this one incident during 9-11. Up on We Are the Mighty is an article outlining seven incredible stories of heroism on 9-11. It was written by Paul Solzhenitsyn. I cannot even talk today. Solzhenitsyn. Paul Solzhenitsyn on wearethemighty.com. And he starts off, nearly 3,000 people lost their lives on September 11, 2001, after Al-Qaeda hijackers flew airplanes into the Pentagon, the World Trade Center in New York. More than 6,000 were injured. Tens of thousands of people typically worked in the Pentagon and the World Trade Center. Most were able to escape. While all who endured that terrible day can be considered brave, there are some who went above and beyond in trying to save lives and ultimately preventing the tragedy from becoming even worse. The first story. It's titled, A 24-Year-Old Equities Trader Helped At Least A Dozen People Get Out And Then He Went Back In With Firefighters to save more. Just a few minutes after United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center, 24-year-old Wells Crowther called his mother and calmly left a voicemail. Mom, this is Wells. I want you to know I'm okay. Crowther was an equities trader at Sandler O'Neill and partners on the 10th floor, I'm sorry, the 104th floor. But after that call, the man who was a volunteer firefighter in his teens made his way down to the 78th floor sky lobby and became a hero to strangers known only as the man in the red bandana. Quote, amid the smoke, chaos, and debris, Crowther helped injured and disoriented office workers to safety, risking his own life in the process. Though they couldn't see much through the haze, those he, he saved recalled a tall figure wearing a red bandana to shield his lungs and mouth. He came down to the 78th floor sky lobby, an alcove in the building with express elevators meant to speed up trips to the ground floor in what's been described as a strong, authoritative voice. Crowther directed survivors to the stairwell and encouraged them to help others while he carried an injured woman on his back. After bringing her 15 floors down to safety, he made his way back up to others. Anyone who can stand, stand now, Crowther told survivors while directing them to a stairwell exit. If you can help others, do so. Quote, he's definitely my guardian angel. No ifs, ands, or buts because without him, we would be sitting there waiting until the building came down. Survivor Ling Young told CNN, Crowther is credited with saving at least a dozen people that day. Crowther's body was later recovered alongside firefighters in a stairwell 
heading back up the tower with the Jaws of Life rescue tool, according to Mick. Story number two. At approximately 9.28 a.m. on September 11, 2001, United Flight 93 was hijacked by four Al-Qaeda terrorists. After the terrorists had stabbed the pilot and a flight attendant, the passengers were told that a bomb was on board and the plane was heading back to the airport. But this was after two planes had already hit the World Trade Center and the passengers on United 98 huddled in the back of the plane. They were beginning to find out the real, what real pain was. Beginning at 9.30, several passengers made phone calls to their loved ones. Quote, Tom, they are hijacking planes all up and down the East Coast, Deanna Burnett told her husband Tom. She was a passenger on United 93 in a cell phone call at 9.34 a.m. They are taking them and hitting designated targets. They've already hit both towers, the World Trade Center. In another phone call, Tom learned from his wife that another plane had hit the Pentagon. We have to do something, Burnett told his wife at 9.45. I'm putting a plan together. Other passengers, including Mark Bingham, Jeremy Glick, and Todd Beamer, were learning similar details in their own cell phones as a plane was barreling towards Washington, D.C. The passengers voted on whether to fight back against the hijackers. Led by the four-man group, the passengers then rushed the cockpit, with Beamer rallying them in his last words. You ready? Okay. Let's roll. From 957, the cockpit recorder picks up the sounds of fighting in an aircraft losing control at 30,000 feet. The crash of trolleys, dishes being hurled and smashed, the terrorists scream at each other to hold the door against them, which is obviously a siege from the cabin. A passenger cries, let's get them. And there's more screaming. And then an apparent breach. Give it to me, shouts a passenger, apparently about to seize the controls. Instead of the plane hit its intended target, believed to be the White House or the Capitol building, it crashed into an empty field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, killing all 44 passengers aboard. Third story. While the planes were hitting the World Trade Center, 27-year-old Jason Thomas was dropping off his daughter to his mother on Long Island. When Thomas heard what had transpired, he changed into his Marine Corps uniform he had sitting in his trunk. He was a former sergeant who had been out of the Corps for a year, and he sped towards Manhattan. Someone needed to help. It didn't matter who, Thomas told AP. I didn't even have a plan, but I have all this training as a Marine, and all I could think of, my city is in need. Around the same time in Wilton, Connecticut, Dave Carnes was working in his office in Deloitte, watching the attack unfold on TV. We're at war, 
the former Marine Staff Sergeant said to his colleagues, before telling his boss he might not be back for a while, according to Slate. He went and got a haircut, changed into his Marine uniform, and drove towards New York City at 120 miles per hour. Once both Marines reached the collapsed towers, the site now covered in ash and debris, they began searching for survivors. But first, they found each other. They had little gear with them besides flashlights and the military entrenching tools, AP reported. Along with other first responders, the pair climbed over the dangerous field of metal, concrete, and dust, calling out, United States Marine, if you can hear us, yell or tap. When they reached a depression in the rubble of what had been the South Tower, he said, I thought I heard someone, so I yelled down, and they replied back that they were New York Port Authority police officers. They asked us not to leave them. Carnes told Thomas to get up to a high point to direct rescuers to the site and then called his wife and sister on his cell phone and told them to phone and give the New York City police his location. Two officers, William Jimino and John McLaughlin, were on the main concourse between the towers when the South Tower began to fall, but made it into a freight elevator before the collapse. They were alive but seriously injured, trapped approximately 20 feet below the surface. According to USA Today, once they heard the voice of the Marines, Jimino began shouting the code for Officer Down, 813, 813. After they were located amid the unstable mountain of debris, he it took rescue workers roughly three hours to dig out Jimino and another eight to reach McLaughlin, who was buried further down. An exhausted Thomas, who never gave his first name, left the site after Jimino was rescued, but returned to Ground Zero for the next two and a half weeks to help. His identity was a mystery until after Oliver Stone's 2006 film, World Trade Center, chronicled the rescue of the officers and Thomas emerged from the shadows. Carnes also left after Jimino came up, but helped on the site for another nine days. After he returned to Connecticut, he went to his reserve center and re-enlisted and served two tours of duty in Iraq. Story number four. Fifteen minutes after takeoff from Boston, American Airlines Flight 11 was hijacked by five Al-Qaeda terrorists and sharply changed its flight path away from Los Angeles to New York City. With the group leader, Mohammed Atta, at the controls and some flight attendants and passengers stabbed, the terrorists pushed the remaining passengers towards the back of the plane. Using crude telephones, flight attendants Betty Ong and Amy Sweeney calmly relayed information to their colleagues on what was unfolding that morning. Okay, my name is Betty Ong. My Number three on flight 11. There's, we can't breathe in business class. Someone's got mace or something. Speaking with an American Airlines Reservation Center, Ong explained that some of the crew had been murdered and hijackers had infiltrated the cockpit. She, air, she shared the information on the men 
including their seat numbers and what they look like. Her colleague, Amy Sweeney, did the same. The New York Observer has more. Sweeney slid into a passenger seat into the next to last row of the coach and used an airphone to call American Airlines Flight Service at Boston Logan's Airport. This is Amy Sweeney, she reported. I'm on flight 11. This plane has been hijacked. She was disconnected. She called back. Listen to me and listen to me very carefully. Within seconds, her befuddled respondent was replaced by a voice she knew. Amy, this is Michael Woodward. The American Airlines flight service manager has been friends with Sweeney for a decade, so he didn't have to waste any time verifying this wasn't a hoax. Michael, this plane has been hijacked, Miss Sweeney repeated. Calmly, she gave him the seat locations of the hijackers, 9D, 9G, and 10B. She said they were all of Middle Eastern descent, and one spoke English very well. Those on the other end of the line were astonished at their calm demeanor and professionalism at that time. At least 20 minutes before the plane crashed into the North Tower, American Airlines had the names, addresses, and other information on three of the five hijackers, details that would help the FBI get a jump start on the investigation. Nadia Gonzalez, an operations specialist with American, later testified to the 9-11 Commission about the calm demeanor of Ang, who asked her, pray for us. Story number five, Rick Rosoga was a hero in the battlefields of Vietnam, where he earned the Silver Star and other awards for his exploits as an army officer. Rescaller, once immortalized in the cover of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, would often sing to his men to calm them down while under fire, using songs of his youth while growing up in the United Kingdom. Many more in the South Tower would hear his songs on September 11th, where he was working as head of corporate security for Morgan Stanley. When American Airlines 11 hit the tower next to him, Port Authority ordered Ruscola to keep his employees at their desks. I said, piss off, you son of a bee. Ruscola told Daniel Neal, a close friend who was trained in counterterrorism in a phone call that morning. Everything above where the plane hit was going to collapse, and it's going to take the whole building with it. I'm getting my people the F out of here. Riscola, who had frequently warned the Port Authority and his company about the World Trade Center security weaknesses, had already issued the order to evacuate. He had made Morgan Stanley employees practice emergency drills for years, and it paid off that day. Just 16 minutes after the first plane hit the opposite tower, more than 2,700 employees and visitors were out when the second plane hit their building. During the evacuation, he calmly reassured people singing, God bless America, and men of Herlick over a bullhorn as they walked down the stairs. During the evacuation, he called his wife. Stop crying, he told her. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know. 
I have never been happier. You made my life. Rascola was last seen on the 10th floor of the South Tower, heading upward to look for any stragglers. His body was never found. Story number six, with scant detail of what was happening and no time to do pre-flight checklist. Two DC Air National Guard pilots quickly scrambled to intercept United 93 after two other planes had hit the World Trade Center. Except there was a twist. They were unarmed. In those days before September 11th, there were no armed aircraft standing guard in Washington DC ready to scramble at the first sight of trouble. And with a Boeing 757 aircraft spitting, speeding in the direction of Washington, D.C., Penny and her commanding officer, Colonel Mark Sassville, couldn't wait the dozens of minutes it was going to take to properly arm their respective jets. We had to protect the airspace any way we could, Major Heather Penny recalled to the Washington Post in 2011. We wouldn't, be we wouldn't be shooting it down. We'd be ramming the aircraft. I would essentially be a kamikaze pilot. Before they took off, Penny and Sassville both planned to ram the aircraft with their F-16s. Instead, the passengers on United 93 made the intercept unnecessary, ultimately fighting back against the hijackers and downing the aircraft into the Pennsylvania field 20 miles outside of Washington, D.C. And finally, story number seven. Army Specialist Bo Dobozinski was working as a tour guide in the opposite side of the Pentagon when the building was struck by American Airlines Flight 77 and didn't even hear it. But he was a former volunteer firefighter and trained EMT. Responded after a Navy captain asked for anyone with medical training. Specialist Bo Bozizinski was a tour guide that morning on the far side of the building. Vice President Joe Biden said in the 10th anniversary of 9-11, so far away, in fact, he never heard the plane hit, but he shortly felt the commotion. He could have gone home. No one would have blamed him, but he was also a trained EMT and came from a family of firefighters. Bozizinski ended up running around the building to try to get to the crash, but was stopped by police. Eventually, he went around the barricades to reach a medical triage station and helped give first aid to numerous victims. Afterwards, he joined a six-man team that went back in to look for survivors while the building was still in flames. When people started streaming out of the building and screaming, he sprinted towards the crash site. For hours, he altered between treating his coworkers and dashing into the inferno with a team of six men. Tomorrow marks the 20th anniversary of the attack on America, the worst we have ever known. The attack on the World Trade Center and Washington, D.C., the downing of the plane by brave heroes in Shanklin, Pennsylvania. We are a nation still in crisis. And I ask, 
rather than playing a dedication song, we take a few minutes of silence to say a prayer to the brave people that lost their lives on that day, to the brave men and women that came to their rescue, and to the brave men and women that to this day still die from the effects of those attacks on 9-11. May God bless each and every one, and may God bless these United States of America. You are here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. And as I try to gather myself, <clears throat> Curtis, let's bring our guest in. She's been waiting patiently. She's also a venerated member of our military, having served former Florida Lieutenant Governor Jennifer Carroll. Jennifer, how are you today? I am blessed. How are you? I'm trying to get my act together. Not doing too well today, but I trying know, to. I know. It's, it's difficult. It is difficult on any day, but especially a day before the commemoration of 20 years ago, having an unwarranted attack on our country that uh, has resulted in a number of things that have taken away our rights, taken away our freedoms, taken away our safety and liberties. And we just have to work with better elected officials with the desire to truly help people and be a servant's heart, with a servant's heart, to be representative, to be our representatives. Because right now we're not dealing with leaders. We're dealing with individuals that have their agenda and motives, and it's not about the people. No, it's about political power. And that's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. We're... We as conservatives, libertarians, republicans, we make our, our argument, we go forward and say, all right, this is where we stand, we make our stand, we win our battle, and then we go back. We go back home. We go back to our families. Uh -huh. But it seems on the uh -huh. other side, they make their stand, they make their argument, they steal the battle, and then they uh -huh. stay there to punish us relentlessly. Uh -huh relentlessly which is pretty sad because you know if, if we had a parent that was doing that to their child we'll say that's child abuse yeah the child if we had if we had a spouse that was doing that to to the other we'll say that's abuse but why are we allowing this to occur right in front of our faces and stay silent particularly the, the folks that are christian based folks that know better folks that have an interest of the safety and security of this country, folks that want to see our country excel, folks that want to see the Constitution uh, be revered. Why are we so silent? We have a, a, we have a small minority that are very, very vocal and, and makes the rest of us just retreat to a corner. But before you know it, that small minority that's very vocal will transform this country into what we do not know it to be anymore. And everything that we have taken for granted for all these years from our founding fathers to put together a document that has lasted less than 250 years for it to be squandered and, and blown away, and then we become like everybody else. If, if this country wasn't so exceptional, 
people, we wouldn't have people crossing the borders every day illegally, even uh, to the detriment of their lives or their children's lives to come here because we have something special. We have, we have a democracy and a republic that is of the people, by the people, that people want to, to enjoy because they're not getting it in their country. And if America falls and we become like everyone else, where else do we go? Where yeah. will we go for that solitude? No, we have no place to go. This is the last bastion within the entire globe. And if we fall, mm -hmm. so does the rest of the world. And we see exactly. the globalization being pushed upon us. We see the caliphate that is expanding across the Middle East from Afghanistan all the way to Iraq. You know, we see the border between China and Afghanistan being passed and China's going, come on, we'll, we'll do bridges and road projects. We'll help you with any infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We'll help you rebuild. No, what China wants is the Muslims to create that caliphate a caliphate that the Chinese Communist Party will then run because now they have access to the precious minerals that we need for these electric mm -hmm. cars that uh, crazy Uncle Joe is pushing upon us. Oh, by the way, we're not going to... And our phones. Our phones. Our phones and our satellite and all our, our national security, our computers. And that, that China has always wanted for years to be the superpower and they're relentless and very patient in it. Same with the caliphate. They're very relentless and patient. We tend to forget. It just uh, You mentioned in your reading of those that were perished during 911. And if you were to ask anybody on the street, you know, can you mention some? Can you name somebody? Can you even think of somebody? No, I don't know. And they'll go about their business. But it, these are the people that are very relentless in their mission. They have not forgotten. They, ha they, have a, they have a desire to control. They have a desire to take over. And the Western way is not their way of what they would like to see. So therefore, everybody has to comport through threats and fear the way they want it. And our elected officials, particularly those in Washington, D.C., and those that are in some of these blue states that are forcing the mask mandates and forcing the vaccine, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and others are saying, F oh, screw your, your, your rights, those people should not have a voice at all. They should have no place in our leadership and government to, to dictate these things to us because we do have constitutional rights. It's funny that I was hearing on, um, I think it was the Attorney General was saying that he's going to sue Texas on their recent abortion law that they passed. And in the same vein, he says, a woman has a constitutional right to her body and uh, so you have a constitutional right to abort a baby, but we don't have a constitutional right to say we don't want something injected in our body, that we have no idea what the ramifications may be. And, and besides, all of these pharmaceutical companies that have this vaccination, they are harmless from any lawsuits. Yep. The government has shielded them from any lawsuits. So why would we be the guinea pig when most of these vaccinations and medicines take anywhere from 10 to 15 years with a, a cohort that that is being totally supervised of what you eat, what you drink, where you go, the environment that you're in, your demographics, male, female, black, white, and different. And, and over these, the period of time, the data and, and information is analyzed to see what those precautions are and what, how it in fact affect and impact people that are taking various medicines and so forth. 
And here we are, the whole world is now guinea pig for these three vaccinations or whatever else may be out there because they have not done those studies. And why should people be forced to either taking the vaccine, not knowing what it will do to them or do to them now or even in the future? Our young kids have reproductive uh, organs that they hopefully are females and males at some point will want to have a family. Who knows if 10, 15 years from now, if they take this vaccine, any one of them, if that would impede that or how would it affect they want pregnant women to take the vaccination? How do you really know that this vaccine is not going to have some impact, negative impact to the child somewhere down the line? Would they be, would they have be running the data and statistics to see how many babies may be, you know, coming out with heart disease and or deformed or something and, and relate it back to the vaccination? That's too high of a risk yeah, for it me. Is. If it I is. was a pregnant woman to take on an assumption. No, I, I completely agree with you because I have been watching the data and I, my listeners know that I had friends that were missionaries in the Wuhan province before this even hit the news. So I knew as late as late September, October, something was happening and they were telling me, get yourself surgical masks, get yourself gloves, get yourself hand sanitizer. They were telling me to start stocking up. Hmm back then. Mm -hmm. So come December, I was already making my own masks, a three layer mask, believe it or not. It had a filter in the middle. But I was doing this ahead of time because I, if, if little old me in a little corner of South Carolina could get word that this was going to hit us and hit us hard, why didn't our government know this? They knew it. Well, they when, knew it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you have a lab that was built by the French. The French trained the medical staff there, and once the staff knew how to do all these tests and everything else, kicked the French out, said, oh, we're, we're, we're confiscating the building. We got it. And then, of course, we have, instead of having the French funding it, the French turned around and told our government, dear President Obama, that something was going on here, and it was bad, and they're going to release a virus on us. They told President Obama this. So what do we do? Fauci, through the NIH, funds the research. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's not the changing the virus. No, no, no. Then we have a French scientist, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, who, when the virus broke out, took a sample of it, examined it, and said, wait a minute, this is man-altered. A human being had a hand in this because they have the AIDS virus spliced into it. These, this is information that has been out there that our government has been denying, and the public is too blind or just mm -hmm. don't even want to hear the information. Mm -hmm. We knew this was coming. Well, here's the, other thing that, that we, here's the other thing that we should really take pause in anything Dr. Fauci says. When the medical experts who have treated individuals that have um, been impacted by COVID, whether it be D or, or the Delta variant or not, and they have treated their, their um, clients to success, to come out of it and to be completely healed and have antibodies. You don't hear about that information at all. But when you hear of the other doctors and the other research institutions that are afraid to speak out, these institutions are being funded by NIH. And it's all about the money. If they lose, if they speak out against Dr. Fauci and say the things that they know to be factual with the scientific data, they would not get funding for their institution and or their, their, their research. So people have to really be careful about 
the 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 information that the government is is stifling that they not they don't want us to hear the other side and the one-sided information that's being presented and who's presenting that information those people that are presenting that information is being funded by NIH so Dr. Fauci has the purse strings to cut the spigot off for these people and they're not going to be the ones to speak out against them because they will have no funding for their program and that's a dangerous position for us to be in to receive one-sided information because of funding issues. You know, they got the they got the shaman still in jail for this alleged, you know, insurrection on January 6th. He's not the mm-hmm. one that should be behind bars. It should be Fauci. First off, for lying in testimony before Congress, not once, but multiple times. Lying to the American people. Uh, wear one mask. No, you don't need a mask. Wear three masks. No, you don't need a mask. Get the vaccine. No, you don't need the vaccine. This man flip-flopped more than John Kerry did in his run for president. And not only that, but then when they get in their circles, they don't wear masks. No. Obama no. had his big old party. He didn't wear masks. His people didn't wear masks. That's true. You know, over 500 That's people true. attended his party. No masks, except the servants. The servants had to wear masks. When Fauci goes to a baseball game, no masks. So don't tell me that we must wear masks because you're so concerned about saving our lives, but then you're not even adhering to the very thing that you're telling us to do. So which is it? And then they want to wonder why people are so skeptical of the information that's being presented to them by their government, because their government officials themselves is not following the rules that they want, that they want to impose on people. Look at this, um, the, the Pfizer vaccine that has a they say an FDA approval, but it's not a full FDA approval because if it was, Pfizer will be out there marketing, which the Pfizer CEO said they're going to rename the Pfizer vaccine to something else. He didn't he mention the name. I can't remember. And they're not going to be marketing the information about the, the, the vaccine, the new name vaccine. And also, too, the government has not removed the liability from Pfizer. So they're covered under an FDA name, but they don't, if they truly had FDA approval across the board, they will have to disclose what are the um, implications of taking the vaccine. Like when you hear the commercials on TV and AstraZeneca will do this, that, and the other, and all these other complications, they may have this, 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 and this. We don't hear anything about no. the vaccines whatsoever. No, so you don't. If they did not, if they had full FDA approval, they would have to disclose all those things. And so therefore they're fooling people to make them believe that, that Pfizer is fully FDA approved. And the only reason they did that is because the hesitancy of people to take a vaccine that's still under, um, is, is not fully approved was, was problematic. So they wanted to rush out there and put an FDA label on it, but people need to think, why then is, is Pfizer still covered under liability that they cannot be sued if that, if that vaccination harmed or killed a person? And also, too, why are they not advertising with the proper disclaimers that the FDA would require of a drug company? You know, it's funny. You, 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 you indemnify these companies like Pfizer, uh, oh, good Lord, uh, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna. You, you indemnify all of them so they can end up killing people. And when I checked, and this was several months ago, so that I'm sure the numbers change, 10,000 people have already died from the virus uh, vaccine. Ah, but 
you will decertify the police who are out there to protect you that you know uh-huh. are not going to give you blood clots and cause a stroke. Uh-huh. It's not going to cause heart inflammation that will cause a heart attack or uh, a cardiac uh-huh. arrest. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's okay to put a vaccine out there that we know has already injured numerous people and has caused more than 10,000 deaths. But no, no, no. You take the vaccine so you're safe. But the vaccine, majority of people being admitted to the hospital are people that have had at least one shot of the vaccine. But they're not registered in the hospital as being vaccinated because they only got one shot. Or if they did get the second mm-hmm. shot, it was in within less than two weeks and they're being admitted. Or they didn't get the booster. So they list them as being unvaccinated when they have mm-hmm. been vaccinated. And yet the least number of people being admitted to the hospital are people that have already had the virus because they don't get it again. My head but is spinning. The thing, the thing about it, it's, all, it's all about the money. It, because when they, uh, uh, when they certify a person being uh, passed away because of COVID, or even if they have COVID, but the, the real ailment that, that um, made the person die is their heart attack or, you know, or uh, respiratory problems or something, they're still classified as COVID. They get more money from the federal government. Absolutely. If you take the money away from a lot of the things that these people try to fool us on, you will see that it was really a a, a smokescreen of of some sort. And that's where our elected officials are letting our public down. And and all the the critical race theory and the wokeism and and, and now removing statues and all these things is going to create a cottage industry. And these folks that are elected to office, they've been there. 20, 30 years, so they know doggone well how to manipulate the American taxpayers, that it creates now a cottage industry for their buddies and their friends and the lobbyists to now, oh, oh we want to train your company and, and charge you $500,000 oh, yeah. to train your company on how to do critical race theory. And people don't understand that it's just these specialist uh, elitists that they're telling their friends and their buddies, oh, you you just uh, set up your business and or come under this lobbyist and we'll have... Uh, Google and all these other companies hire you, and that's how the Clintons made a bunch of money. Oh, yeah. His daughter was out there speaking $100,000, younger than me, don't have the life experience that I did, to go out and say, what, because she's a Clinton child? And, And that's what's happening with our country. They're utilizing all the taxpayer dollars so they can enrich themselves. Meanwhile, the people are suffering. Biden comes out yesterday. People have to wear a mask, and I'm going to fine you. You know why they're fining people? Because we haven't had people in the work in, in the in being employed for all these years, so they're not they don't have the money to pay taxes. The government is running out of money, so you find these people so you can get free money across the board. It's all about the money, and I'm so sick and tired of these people that have been in office for far too long that keep fooling the American public, and the American public need to rise up and say enough is enough. Absolutely. You know, you should chase the flimflam man out of town, but the flimflam man is in every every single corporate boardroom. And then some. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, Curtis. Mm -hmm. Hey, what, what I try to tell my friends who are largely Democrats who are, are fearful of this, the scamdemic is that, you know, I, I try to use logic with them and it doesn't always work. You know, they wear the mask. I have a friend who, who religiously wore the mask, even in the car when she was by herself, she ended up catching COVID anyway. 
she lived with her parents who were elderly in their 90s and late 80s. They didn't catch it from her. But the thing is, she continued to wear the mask. Then she got the, the vaccine, and um, she she's still fearful of um, catching it. And I'm, I'm like, well, look, you went through all this. You did everything they, they asked you to do, and you're still afraid of catching it? I said, well, mm-hmm. why did you go through all of that? It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Mm-hmm. Now, where's you're her being face? Played. Where's the face? Yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, where, where she's very religious, very religious. And I'm, so, I'm so saying, where well, where's your faith? Yeah, huh? I mean, you can be religious. You can say your prayers up the wazoo, but if you don't have true faith, it means diddly squat. Right. Absolutely. And that's the Absolutely. difference. When, when I asked her about that, she said, well, I'm wearing the mask for, for, mm-hmm. to protect my father. And I'm thinking, well, if you really, really want to protect your father, you should be doing what I'm doing, you know, because I don't wear the mask. I don't take the shot. And I, I'm just as healthy as, as the, you know, they come. And I told her before about taking certain supplements and stuff to boost her immune system. Mm-hmm. They never mm-hmm. tell you. But they never t- talk about that. They are right. always talking external things, a mask or social distance or wash your hands. But they never, never tell you to take supplements. And I think it's because they don't control that, that, that area of the market. That industry, you know, exactly. Because that's not, on, right. that's not on the FDA. Exactly. But let me tell right. you, talk about that. That is, again, going back to the money. The government, the taxpayer dollars, have promised these uh, back, companies with the vaccine that they will buy X amount of vaccine. So now they have to put the vaccines in people. And that's what it boils down to. These companies, they're no liability. They have a guaranteed purchase of certain amount of vaccines, and then they go scot-free, making billions of dollars off the taxpayer dime. So mm-hmm. when people look, when if they really pull the onion back, they'll see that this has all been a smokescreen, and they've been played and, and, and being fooled by their government. The, so I heard uh, <laughs> another report that talked about um, people, their concern now, the CDC is concerned, that this flu season is going to be worse than any other because people have not been in contact with one another to develop immunity towards the, the, the flu virus. So you prevented us from getting together with people. So you're, the government, in a sense, is stating that herd immunity is better than anything else as far as vaccines because there are so many strands of, of the cold, the, 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 the COVID, which COVID is a cold, and so many strands of the, the influenza A that you don't know which one is going to be popping out or which, which vaccine to get for the, what's going to be popping out in, in the next um, season, flu season. So because people have not been in contact with one another, to contract some of the influenza A uh, so they can monitor which, which strand of that influenza A they'll have to get the vaccine prepared for, now they're concerned that the flu season is going to be worse than ever. Like you can't have it both ways, people. No, no, you can't. You can't. You know, it, 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 the hypocrisy that we see coming out of this government and the flim flam. And it's, it is. It's all flim flam. You know, you, you sell people on this stuff. Now you got a vaccine passport they're trying to push on. Uh, Biden came out with this emergency mm-hmm. order that if you have 100 employees or more, 
it's mandatory. I mean, you're talking about a small mm-hmm. business, a hundred people. That's a small mm-hmm. business. How is a small business owner going to be able to afford given these, this vaccine? And Lord knows what happens if he mandates that you have to take this vaccine. Otherwise you can't be employed by me. And someone has a bad reaction. You end up suing the employer mm-hmm. for ma- doing the mandate. But then exactly. again, exactly. Uh, crazy Uncle Joe, creepy Uncle Joe walks away scot-free. I'm sorry. He should be mm-hmm. in the loony yep. bin right now. He should be he should. in a straitjacket <laughs> in a loony bin with his wife right next to him. They do not belong in the White I House. I say anybody that is forced by a civilian employer that they must or, or they get fired should have that employer sign a, a get a lawyer to draft up a document that says if any negative health issues occur to me because of this forced vaccination to be your employer, you are being personally liable for any of that injury that occurred to me. I bet you quickly they'll back away and, oh, you can have an exemption because the, the businesses don't want to be sued, but they're going to be sued either way because the, the people cannot go after the, the pharmaceutical companies as long as they're protected from the government from any lawsuits. So the Morgan and Morgans of the world will find somebody with some money pocket to sue. And that's the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think this is going to come back to bite the um, Democrats in the butt. And, uh, oh, big time. I can't wait. We can only hope because our voters tend to have short-term memories. And if something else pops up where they like him, you know, just two days prior to the election, they'll probably forget everything else that happened during this time. But we cannot be so short-minded. I, as I mentioned about the, uh, the, the, the fanatics and so forth out there. They're not short-term memory at all. They have long-term memory, and they have a goal and a mission that regardless of what, regardless of the timing, regardless of who's in their way, they're going to stay relentless to accomplish their mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I got I to gotta mention one thing, uh, Jennifer. My, my mom was watching, I, I don't know if it was Strickland. Uh, we watch Newsmax all the time. But... She starts yelling at the TV. God bless her. She's 89 years old, a little Italian. <laughs> but she was yelling at the TV because she refuses to have the, the vaccination. And she's got several health mm-hmm. issues where side effects in me and her, the chances of us having a reaction to the side effects is great. To the point where I, we checked with our GP, both of us, and checked with our cardiologist and both said, don't do it. Because if you do, you're at a grave risk. You're better off just getting the virus and getting over it. Well, bless her heart. And she's, she's yelling at the TV. And I says, Mom, if you look at the, the way our world is turning with the unrest in the Middle East and with all the other things that are going on, this critical race theory and all these other things, it's coming to a head with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the January 6th quote unquote insurrection I said that vaccine is the mark of the beast and she looked at me Mm -hmm. and this is a woman that sits there with two pairs of rosary beads praying all day she's a little Italian Roman Catholic trust me (laughs) you can't get any more Roman Catholic than that one and she has them attached to her walker so when she looked at me she thought about it and she's like hmm I think you're right to me the vaccine now at this point to me seems to be the mark of the beast. How much further can we go downhill? Right. Well, let's, let's hope that we turn 
return the tide and really have people truly wake up to a government that is going in the wrong direction and the people that we have elected have been in office for far too long and they are not doing the things that is of a statesman. They're doing things of a politician and those things are not benefiting the people that elected them to office. It's time for them to go. That seat is not theirs. It's the people's seat. This is a republic for the people, by the people. And the people now need to take back control of their obligation to make sure that the elected officials know that they're watching them, that they will vote them out of office, and they don't have to stay there because there are other good people that can step up to the plate and run and truly uh, represent individuals across this country the way they're supposed to be represented. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I want to remind people that there is an election this November 3rd. And so it's an off-season election. But pay attention to it, people, because here in my own mm-hmm. county, they're trying to sneak through two resolutions that are so detrimental to our county. So pay attention to the off-season election just as strongly as the regular election cycle. They they will use these off-season elections and people will end up taking seats if it's in your council, your school board, your dog catcher. They will slip people in that are not Mm -hmm. who you want in those seats. They will slip through resolutions. And we see it now. And, we see it now. Yeah. And, and here mm-hmm. in my county, they're attempting to do another sales tax. Now, wait a minute. You got people mm. laid off, people who have not gone back to work. And, oh, by the way, county council, at the height of the pandemic, when everyone was hurting financially the worst, voted themselves a pay raise. A pay raise. Talk That's about crazy. tone deaf. So see? you want uh, uh, no sales tax, on top of which they're attempting to change our form of government where our uh, auditor and our treasurer currently are elected by the people. We have a voice on who controls our tax dollars and how they do it. They want to take it away and have it appointed by county council. Now, this is the same county council mm. that just voted themselves a tax increase, uh, I mean, a pay raise, a pay plus, raise. Mm-hmm. plus look for a tax increase at the height of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, you think you want them in control of your vote? They're stealing your vote. So people, people Mm -hmm. go to your local government website, go to your board of elections, see who's running, see what the resolutions or any other issues on those ballots are. An off-year election is just as vital as an on-year election. Absolutely. Because at those local levels, as we see what's happening at the school board with the critical race theory and and some of the the mayors and city council assemblymen and so forth, they're putting draconian measures in place at the midnight hour that's impacting people at the local level. And once you put a tax in place, government entity, do not remove it whatsoever. No, You'll have to die before you ever see a tax. It doesn't come out. And you see, the problem is that they'll say, oh, we need to have this tax to pay, and they'll, they'll tug at the heartstrings. Our roads and our schools and our infrastructure is failing. But then ask them, with the last tax, what did you do? What, how, how did you spend it? And therefore, a tax or any fees that they put in place should be temporary, not a permanency. 
So once they get money, more money, they tend to learn to spend at that next high level. They never spend at the lower level where they were before and use the extra tax money to do the purpose that they said they wanted tax money for. It then becomes a normalcy for those taxes, and that's the problem with higher taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, you would have you would have loved um, me when I went before uh, uh, the school board this past week. Um, I couldn't be there in person, so they allowed um, me to call in and they took my phone call and oh boy I I unleashed on them so badly that <laughs> no sooner did I finish speaking that they cut the meeting they actually cut the video feed and they said we're going into executive session no preamble no, no this no that no the, all of a sudden everything just the screens all went black and it's like oh <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I hit a couple of nerves. No, you dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I turned you around and mic. I said, anyone and everyone that votes for this, the mask mandate, we're going to know who you are. And we're coming after your seats. And we had one mm -hmm. school uh, board member was saying, oh, about the deaths of the children, all these kids that are dying, uh, so forth. And I, before I even went and spoke, I'm on my little computer Googling things left and right. And in the state of South Carolina, there's approximately 1.8 million school-aged children. And to this one school board member, I said, you are bemoaning the deaths of all the children across the state of South Carolina because of COVID. I said, you've got 1.8 million school-aged children, approximately which 20% are homeschooled. So cut them out of the whole equation, that group. How many have died throughout the entire state of South Carolina since the onset of COVID? Two. Two kids. Mm, and mm. I said, you want a mask mm. mandate because in the mm, entire mm. state of 35 million people, 1.8 million school-aged children, of which 20% are homeschooled or other schooled, so they're not even in the school district, much less the county, mm -hmm. total of two children. Boom. I said, we're coming after you know our seats. I, I, I said, kids are on the playground out, out of school. Kids are in the neighborhoods playing with each other out of school. So it's just, yeah. again, a facade in, in trying to dictate to people what they cannot do. It's against you know, the, 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 the right of a parent, how they want to take care of their children and just have government take over to tell them what to do. And so they're going to push back on parents and say, okay, you can't do... We think we know what's better for your child. Oh, we, we're, we're going to be a better parent than you are by telling you what to do with your kid. And so this is this the authoritative uh, measures that they want to take to show that they have the upper hand, to show that they can bully you. The Democrats are the biggest ones to want to pass an anti-bullying bill, but they're the biggest ones to turn around and bully <laughs> people to do what they want to do. What they want yeah, them that's to do. true. What I have a problem with is people who are highly educated on the left. And I, I even showed them the CDC zone um, stats and where it says, you know, in the United States, we had like 700 and whatever people um, die from um, um, illnesses um, involving COVID. It doesn't say what's the cause of death Correct. involving COVID. And I say, okay, 
700,000 is a lot to some people, but when you put it in context, we are a nation of 330 30. something yep. million. That's okay. less than, less than, you know, point zero zero zero, And that doesn't constitute a crisis to, exactly. the, to the extent that, that they're hyping this to be. And I can't get them to, to realize just the simple things. Even when I say, okay, when the last time you heard about deaths increasing? No, what they keep constantly saying now is the number of cases keep rising. Cases, exactly. Well, who cares about cases if you, uh -huh. you can survive a 90-something uh -huh. percent uh, re, you know, recovery uh -huh. rate from it? And you but notice they'll tell me, well, we'll just have to nope. agree to disagree. Nope. And I'm saying, what are you disagreeing with? Right. right. You don't need you. You have more people dying of influenza A than COVID, mm -hmm. and you don't hear those numbers whatsoever. No, you got more people nope. dying from car accidents, from suicide, drug overdoses, mm -hmm. alcoholism, heart attacks, cancer. Yeah, yeah but suicides, all that. I, I think I, if I heard correctly, but the spotlight is not on those. If I heard correctly, the statistic last night is that. COVID deaths is now dropped below number 10 as the leading cause of death in America. Mm -hmm. Below number 10. And yet we're treating it so as therefore it's, it's not a it's no, longer, it's no longer a pandemic. It's an endemic. It's not a pandemic. So if it, if it was at the onset of COVID where people didn't understand where it came from and, and, and who was more susceptible to, to getting it and so forth, you can see the draconian measures to put the face mask on until they can get some some understanding and and some normalcy to how we can preclude people from getting infected. But now we have the oh, we lose get the vaccine. Jennifer, you, know, you keep on fading in and out. Yeah. Oh, we're losing Jennifer. I think we lost her. Okay. Oh, oh, here we go. We got it. We got Can you hear back. me? Yep, we got okay. your back. You were yeah. If you get the vaccine, then you have to worry about it. You're not going to catch it. So now we have to mask That's other right. people to protect the people from who, who got the vaccine from them getting it. So which one is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like which I said, it doesn't make sense. You know, they, they're using fear to drive this, mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. just fell in line with it. Fear, fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm exactly. saying, you know, Really, you, you know, we, most of the people I know that haven't taken a vaccine haven't caught COVID, or if they did, it was early in the game, like before they even knew it was COVID. So they build an immunity to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm saying to people that are telling me, you know, I am, you know, taking a risk because they look at us as risk takers. I said, look, I, I haven't had well, a cold or whatever in two years. Take, sometimes it takes a risk taker to expose the truth. Yes, exactly. That's right. Exactly. But they, they don't speak through that. You know. No. Uh, what they, are the first, they drink the Kool Aid. Well, one of the first things I did after my husband passed away and I got the death certificate, I made sure that the proper thing was on the death certificate and COVID was not listed because two days before he passed, they had tested him. And I still have the text on my phone saying that he tested negative. So if anyone tries to tell me he died of COVID, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I still have the hospital text. But Jennifer, I wanted to just on a personal side, I wanted to thank you for the time you took to send me that little note. And when we had his memorial, I had like a little poster board with 
and yours was prominent. I posted all those little emails and stuff I got from people like you and others uh, just to let them know that you were thinking of him. And I thank you so much for that. It meant so much to me. Well, and uh, it says nothing, but I want you to know that of you and my prayers and my thoughts were with you. And um, what the pain, not as much as you were feeling, but the pain you were feeling somewhat felt here as well for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I still, I was crying last night for some reason. Just something struck me and mm, it, 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 it comes come. in waves. It, it will come. It's been, it's been fresh. It's been fresh. You know, it's not been a number of years. So it, it's going to be fresh and look at the amount of time that you had. That was part of you. Yeah. And you can't just wipe that way of wipe that away overnight. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're not. Yeah. And I'd like to thank her for her. I would like to thank her too for her generous words and encouragement um when my mother passed away a couple of months ago in april she's so thoughtful and i appreciate um jennifer you know for all the support yeah, she's given welcome. me over the years and i appreciate you guys well see that's what friends do thank you well this is the difference between the left and the rest of us you know we actually genuinely care about each other for them it's the mm-hmm. platitudes for the vote we're not here about the vote we're here about the message mm-hmm. and the method. You know, we're here. Mm-hmm. It, 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 if you feel X, Y, Z, we should be able to walk across the street and just talk to the other side of the fence calmly absolutely, and logically. I mean, I have a neighbor yes. across the street. She's on the absolute opposite end of the political spectrum from, from me. But when the hurricanes came through, I said, Lisa... You know, I'm going to check your your property. So if anyone calls, you says someone's walking around. I'm just going to make sure that you're okay. You don't have any trees down. Nothing has to be done. I'll, and I'll let you know. And I sent her photos. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. I didn't think that people would care. It doesn't matter what side uh, of the political fence uh-huh. you sit on. This is 9-12, folks. Every single mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. is 9-12. And, mm-hmm. and if we live our lives as if this is the day after 9-11, and we genuinely care about our neighbor. Forget about what the political stance is. We'll deal with that at the ballot box. Not in mm-hmm. the boxing ring here. Because this is the boxing ring. Exactly. Our life is the boxing ring. And you've got to be able to yep. help Relationships your and being human beings and with compassion. And, and I, think, I think something like that has happened even more recently with the deaths of those 13 Marines oh, and, and, and whatnot. Because I think everybody's upset on both sides of the and aisle on the about floor? what happened, and to and to leave those people behind, Americans behind, it's, it's unconscionable. You know, if, if you it's don't, American. If, if you don't mind, Jennifer and Curtis, I've got a little um, about a five minute clip. If you don't mind, uh, this is something I did uh, back in two thousand nine. Um, we were doing a Tea Party rally. And I think what I said back then is even relevant today. If you don't mind if I play this. I see a lot of familiar faces from our uh, July 4th uh, Tea Party, as well as our September 12th event. And I want to thank every one of you for coming back in. What I really want to talk to you about is what brings us together. Now, some of you are Tea Partiers. Some of you are Liberty Alliances. Some of you are 912ers. 
September 12th actually has a very, very special meaning to me. It actually goes back to a very snowy morning in February of 1993 when I was on duty in uniform as a New York City police officer. Three Muslim terrorists bombed the World Trade Center for the first time. We were pulled off our posts and rushed to the scene. I was ordered to maintain my post, but in doing so, I felt helpless and impotent. But all the while, I had to keep a calm, confident demeanor because we had to keep the public calm. And yet we worried about our family and friends in those towers on that day. On that day, six people died. 1,042 were injured. But I'm going to tell you that feeling of helplessness and incompetence never struck me so hard as on September 11, 2001 when now sitting in my comfortable living room over 800 miles away here in Buford, I watched the horror unfold. I knew the tactics. I knew the placing of emergency responding personnel. I also knew the risks and the dangers that those towers were to fall. But I also knew the strength and the courage of my fellow brethren. On that day, 2,819 people died. 343 EMS and firefighter workers. 60 police officers. Three of whom I personally knew. Police officer Robert Fazio. Sergeant Rodney Gillis, and Police Officer Valentin Santos. I normally carry a flag of heroes, and I normally unfurl it so you can see the names of every last hero that worked on that day. But on 9-11, and the days that followed. People took in strangers, people they didn't know, who lost their homes, who lost their jobs, their friends and their families. Across the nation on September 12th, a new American spirit was born. People lined up to donate food, clothing, blood, and traveled hundreds of miles to volunteer. On that day, we as Americans united into a mighty and powerful force. That is what our 912 project is about. It is about uniting America, but not 
forsaking our freedoms or our liberties. Somewhere along the way, hungry politicians have convinced us to relinquish our liberties. They only need to scream, it's an emergency and it has to be done now, and like sheep, we get herded further and further away from the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. Today, we reclaim the Declaration of, Const and Declaration of Independence and Constitution. Today, we reclaim a united America. Don't stop here. No matter what your catchphrase is, call, write, annoy the heck out of your elected officials. Get your voices heard. And may God bless each and every one of you. And may God bless America. Yeah, she probably had an, another um, appointment. Well, you know, you probably can call her later and just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I, I yeah, but we kept her well over a half hour, though, so that, yeah. that was good, you know. Because yeah. I, could, I couldn't get through to our other guests. I tried yeah, well, a couple I, times. I sent an email over to his publicist, and I don't think I got anything back yet. Let me just double check. And... No, no, I haven't. So, uh, yeah, so we, we lost our second guest, which is a shame because his book is absolutely excellent. It's about Medal of Honor winners uh, during the uh, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, war we just had. Um, very, very, very in informative and interesting. But uh, I couldn't, I had to play that clip. So I hope I didn't piss anyone off. Yeah, that was... <laughs> No, that's very relevant to what's going on today. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially here in America. Now, Jennifer, she just texted me. She said she lost her cell oh, okay. signal. So. Yeah, she was, she was coming in and out, so I can understand that. But tell her we still love her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Text her back and say, we okay. love you. <laughs> no worries, no worries. You know, there's so much more to talk about because, you know, she brought up the thing about, you know, mandatory vaccines uh, where it's, you know, they, they use that argument, uh, my body, my choice. But this is the whole thing. These mandatory vaccines. And now you're, you're actually making a segregated United States. You've got those who do not take the vaccine, whether or not they can't, like someone like me, or they don't want to, which I can also agree with. Uh, they they feel Which is like me. Yeah, so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you don't want to have your kids vaccinated, that means that you can't send them to public school, unless there's some sort of an override, you know, which is whatever the case is. And or there are home or do homeschooling. Right, and now here in the state of South Carolina, we have what's called the Ed Act. So the money follows the child. The child does not follow the money. So if you decide to homeschool or use alternative schooling, the money will go with the child to pay for that. So you're not worrying about you know, uh, taking 10000 or $15,000 out of your own pocket to send your kids to school because you've been paying those taxes all along. 
those tax dollars will go with the kids. That is what we should be doing. And, you know. Well, look at all that money. Look at all that money and the equipment they left behind in Afghanistan. Oh, oh, that could have funded a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 80-something billion, I hear. Well, we're not sure how much. I've heard upwards of 90 billion. Everything from. Wow. Yeah. Everything from uh, personal armor, night vision goggles, rifles, pistols, grenades, mortar rounds, rockets, Black Hawk helicopters, Humvees, other armored vehicles. You know, what didn't they leave behind? You know, there is more armament in there than we have sent to any other country throughout the history. I mean, we never... Never. I mean, we left stuff behind in Vietnam, which is understandable because it was a quick bug out and pull out. But we destroyed most of it. There wasn't a heck of a, a lot of it left behind. And yes, we left POWs and MIAs behind, which is also unforgivable. But never, never would I have ever thought we have gone to the part, the, to the to the length we have here now, where you live sit us. Our American citizens, American allies, uh, uh, and this much equipment behind? I mean, they're saying that I heard just before coming on the air something about um, the Taliban has agreed to release the planes for them to take off. My question is, is what was the ransom? How much ransom did we just pay? They're asking for this infrastructure bill of $3.5 trillion. And, oh, Joe Manchin, he says, well, I'll approve it if it's $1.5 trillion. No. At this point, we have to say absolutely no. This is, this is a, a government that has run completely amok. And we have to turn around and just yeah. in one voice say there's no and there's oh, hell no. And somewhere we've you know, got to get that message across. They're always making back deal, you know, backroom deals um, up there in the, the upper echelon of our leadership. Um, um, and I, I can take it as far back as um, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, one of the things that Kennedy um, promised to do was remove our missiles um, in Turkey that were facing um, Russia. So, you know, that wasn't made public at the time. It just seemed like, you know, Kennedy stood up to the Russians and, and the, the Russians uh, backed down and re- withdrew their missiles from Cuba. But we had to, you know, we agreed to remove our missiles uh, that were uh, located in Turkey. And that's a story that doesn't get out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes behind closed doors. And the transparency in our government does not exist at all. Oh, oh, unless it was underneath Donald Trump, because then they they screamed and yelled, you know, show us, you know, the. the, Yeah, make all that public. uh, Yeah, and and Vito's saying. Everything public about him. And Vito, 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 you got a sick sense of humor, Vito. (laughs) He writes, do you think. <laughs> Sorry, Biden and Harris are honest enough to disclose how much jizia, which is ransom, uh, and ransom is paid to the Taliban. Uh-uh. 
no, no, no. Because um, I'm sure there was a plane load of money, you know, quantitative easing cash, you know, printed by the Fed that went over on that plane. So, you know, if anyone's, jeez, uh, I, I went to the grocery store yesterday to pick up some, some, a few things. And of course, you know, <laughs> you let a woman loose in the store. <laughs> it's not just a few things. But I, I started, you know, picking up things because I needed cat food and cat litter and things like that. And so I get all the necessary stuff. And I says, well, you know, make dinner easy. I'll get this. I'll get that. So when I got done, I'm, I'm, I normally keep a running total in my mind, thinking I'm going to get up to the checkout counter, $125 maybe. Holy moly, $185. And every time I go into the grocery store lately, it's usually $50 or $60 more than what I normally spend. Wow. And, and, and I went back through my books, and I'm one of those that balanced my checkbook to the penny. So I went back to look at, you know, every time I went to the grocery store, what was the average? And I'm saying every single shopping trip is between 50 and $60 more than I normally spend. And I'm not buying extravagant things. I'm not buying anything I really don't need. I'm just buying stuff I need, and sometimes I see it on sale, I'll stockpile. But, you know, holy moly, it, that, it's crazy. Oh, it's talking about stockpile. You, you'll get a kick out of this, Curtis. Um, I normally get my UPS delivery somewhere between 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. I'm doing my show notes. I've got the front door locked. I've got the lights on outside. And there's a knock on my front door about quarter to 10 at night. God bless these guys at UPS. Wow. He was dropping off my Patriot. The, the food and, and extra stuff I had ordered from my Patriot, because I haven't restocked in about you know, seven, eight years. So I said, listen, let me get some new stuff so I can start rotating stuff out. And so I have always fresh. Plus, I got myself a water filtration system and a water disbursement urn in case I lose you know, any water so I can still you know, pour myself some water. <clears throat> so I, I bought myself a whole bunch of stuff at my Patriot. And quarter to 10 o'clock, he's knocking on the door. <laughs> this poor little guy, I mean, I'm short. I'm only five foot three. This guy was shorter than me. And the size of these boxes was almost as Man. big as him. <clears throat> so two of them were really light, so I, I can pull them in. But I said, you got you to gotta get the others. Just get them mm -hmm. in the doorway. I can drag them the rest of the way. I swear one of them must have weighed as much as he did. God bless these guys at UPS. Wow. We love you. We love you. But I did order some stuff from My Patriot Food. So please, folks, <clears throat> go to my website, click on the um, My Patriot icon, and get yourself some stuff because I'm telling you, uh, the prices in the grocery store are off, though. The, they're way off. Way off. So you're going to have to start stockpiling stuff so you can avoid a couple of extra trips to the um, grocery store. Because what I bought will keep me going for two months. And it was at half the price I normally would pay for monthly groceries. <clears throat> so it's it's a good value. I'm losing my voice. What the heck is going on? I got COVID. Well, you know, <clears throat> there's, um, there's some cereal out there, cold cereal that costs almost close to $5. So think about that. You get two boxes of cereal, it could almost cost you $10 just for two items. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is. I mean, and some of the silliest things, like I needed some CLR. 
because I've got some, uh, what do you call it, residue on my glass shower doors. So I need to clean that off. So I need the CLR. I also had an aerator to my sink that got clogged up. So I needed to get that cleaned up. So CLR, I can understand. But for basic items, and just like, I, I'm looking at some of the stuff I bought, and I said, this is, this is like almost double the price it was the last time I came to the store. Bananas? Holy moly. Folks, my mom loves bananas. So I try to give her a banana at least five times a week, but mom, I'm sorry. I'm buying you frozen. I'm going to mash it up in a smoothie, and you're going to drink it. But it is. It's, it's gotten out of here. What did she say to that? I haven't told her yet. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but, you know, we're waiting for our next guest to call in. It looks like today's going to be one of those days that nothing is going to go right. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> is it the 9-11 syndrome or what? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm trying to... If I can get this person up on my text uh, and find out where, ah, come on. Oh, I hate this. I have the phone from hell. I really do have the phone from hell. You type in a person's <laughs> name and expect to be able to text the person directly. And it comes up with my entire phone book, which has something like over about 1,500 people in it. Wow. So now I got to go scrolling wow. through all these. I mean, I have these people, I don't even know who they are or how they got into my phone index. But holy cow, I, I, I found him. Right, here we go. We do have our next guest. I was just about ready to text. So let's welcome. Is that him? Yes, it is. It is him. Let's welcome onto the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Holy cow. Candidate for North Carolina District Number 7, my neighbor to the north, uh, Max Southworth Beckwith. Good afternoon, Max. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are you doing? Morning. Morning, honey. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. Afternoon. Oh. <laughs> afternoon here. Uh, I'm, working. I'm, I'm working, so I just it's all blended together for me. Oh, you're on Afghanistan time. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. I'm still bad now. Oh, man. Well, um, how y'all been doing? I'm losing my voice, but I'm having one of those days that nothing's going right. But so what? I'm, I'm just going to go with the flow. Go with the flow. Anyway, um, you decided to run for North Carolina District Number 7. And that takes a lot of chutzpah to decide to run for, you know, federal office uh, with no political background. What made you decide to do this? Uh, my initial reason for it was because our incumbent uh, – Representative David Rouser, he, uh, he's going on his fourth term, but he's gone unopposed in the primary for the past three terms. And I feel that for a solid republic, you have to have contenders and challengers because through challenge, we better ourselves and become a stronger union. If we just let it sit by the sideline with the status quo and just take for granted that you're going to win a primary because you don't have anybody running against you, I mean, not necessarily the best thing for democracy. No, it's it's not. Now, you served in the United States Marine Corps. You have a long history with your family. I love your dad and mom. I love them dearly. I've known them, ooh, 12 years. And you know, your dad was always so proud because every time I talked to him, it's like, max this, max that. Uh, he, he, You have a loving, a great family. 
um, I had a long history of serving in the Marine Corps, but how do you feel when you saw what just happened in Afghanistan? I mean, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way. And holy cow, a a five-year-old knows whatever happened there is the wrong thing to do. This is where, like, the libertarian side of me really conflates with, like, what I wish to be. And this is a perfect example of why the president of the United States as commander-in-chief either needs to A, listen to his military advisors, or B, have some kind of military experience. I was just a boots on the ground guy. I just got an IEDs for a living. That's what I did in my two tours. But looking at just the initial poll out, everyone from private to general knows that you don't remove air support before anything else is done. Like, that's like the last thing you do. That alone right there should have let us know. Big red flag that Biden uh, didn't eat all his Cheerios that morning. <laughs> well, that's, that's a polite way to say that, you know. <laughs> Excuse me. But, you know, what got me was is that when Trump left office, from that day forward, there was no air support to the Afghan army. So they're like, we're in the field here. We're calling for support. Where the hell are you guys? You promised us support. Where are you? And we have our NATO allies going, where are you guys? Where is the air support? And rule number one, if you decide to do a pullout, as you said, air support is the very last thing that goes. But rule number one, you get the civilians out, you get the diplomats out, you get the wounded out, you destroy every piece Here's of what- equipment, and you don't leave them, not even a pencil. And then you pull the military out. Here's, here's where I have an issue. Yeah, here's where I have an issue. Is they all want to throw this on Trump. Was, oh, this was Trump's plan. We just inherited it. You gave yourself an extra three to four months to get this right. <laughs> like, it's not, if you had gone with his plan and gotten out in May when you wanted to, then you might have a leg to stand on. But you extended it four months. You should have had four months better planning after that. Oh, absolutely. Just logically speaking. Absolutely. And not only that, they did it in such a, a way where President Trump had it where um, he had a plan. He, he, said, he sent, bed, sent teeth in backwards, set up benchmarks. And it's like, well, if you don't hit this benchmark, then I'm not going to go the next step. Matter of fact, I just may backtrack yeah. a little bit. That wasn't even done here. They said, well, this is the exit date. Come hell or high water, no matter who is banging on the gates of the airport in Cabal, I don't care if it's an American or if it's your cousin Joey, I don't care. The gates are locked. The planes are not going to leave. How do you take a plane that holds over 500 to 600 passengers and send it out with only 10 people on there and tell me you're doing an evacuation? And when 99% of them coming out are not even American? Go ahead. Well, here's my thing is, here, here's my thing is that you chose a smaller airfield with one airstrip versus the base uh, you were yes. literally at. Uh-huh. That had multiple airstrips, was defensible, had the military hardware, which is where they got. And uh, Mr. Curry said the last quote that I heard was $86 billion in hardware. I, I heard upwards to about $90 billion. And gee, who are they sent, giving that airbase to? That, that our American base too. 
It's like, oh, gee, China, you have a 47-mile border with Afghanistan. You're offering to do bridges and roads and infrastructure and help us rebuild. So come on in and take over this base for us. They're handing the Chinese yeah. our base, our equipment. They already have the information on the F-35s because, lo and behold, we were making parts for the F-35 in China. And you'll wonder why the air hoses were being polluted as these pilots were in flight and passing out. Yet, yeah, you get me started, Max. I'm going to well, go it, off the wall here. This is a surprise. When I was in country in 2010, I heard the, the through the we call it the Lance Corporal Underground, the, the rumor <laughs> mill, the Marine Corps, um, and we heard that China was buying mineral rights in Afghanistan. Yes, back in 2010. Yeah, and probably before then. So that's not a surprise. Any you put two and two, you don't get fish. You get four. Like it's it's not rocket science here. No, and that's kind of the one thing that I think Congress is missing. All up and down the ladder is just general boots on the ground, Marine Corps common sense. We have a saying in the Marine Corps, break it down Barney style. So you literally take whatever convoluted issue you have, break it down Barney style. What are the key issues? How do you fix it? Yeah. Literally, there's nothing, there's nothing in the world that cannot be no mission, no operation, no task you're trying to do you can't complete with a five paragraph order that's just that's just how we work in the marine corps and that's why the marine corps is one of the most efficient fighting forces in the world it's not the most outside of special ops as long as they keep crt out of it but you have a great website yeah, there's, right. a, there's a link on our show page so that when people are listening to this especially if they go into the archives they just click on the link which is max for congress um it's a little bit more than that uh, let me see if I, did I write it down? Yes, I did. Maxforcongress.wixsite, wixsite.com, backslash my hyphen site. Yeah. <clears throat> but you, you got you to so, simplify that. Course, <laughs> the, the fastest way would just go to my Facebook because then it's linked to my website from there. I'm actually currently in the process. I just, I follow, I got followed to FEC last week. And then for the, I hired a company to take care of the campaign finance laws and, and setting up the commissions and doing all that stuff. So we just now today got the bank account for the commission set up to where I can actually start taking donations. Um, so with that being said, I'm, I'm not, unlike Rouser, who I'm going against, who's a trust fund kid and right out of college, he was a lobbyist uh, and been in government ever since then. Uh, I don't have like $100,000 just sitting in the savings account I can use to, to fund my stuff. So I'm relying on, I got some donations already, but want me to use that to post it to where people can actually Google it and it's literally just Max for Congress. You don't have to go through the whole Wix, da 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 da, da whatever. Um, but if people are trying to find a way to get to the website, the fastest way just would be go to my Facebook and just click the link there. Absolutely. Now, I got a question. Have you announced your candidacy that you are actually running in public? Have you publicly announced it or is this show the first time you're doing it? No, I did a soft like to the to the my core group and then I know it's not a secret. My actual big announcement, which isn't really even a big announcement, it's more of just like a meet and greet at my local uh, VFW here in Wilmington, North Carolina from uh, tomorrow from five to seven. And it's it's not I'm not it's not going to be a a big fancy hoo ha ha I'm a blue collar guy it's 
literally come support the VFW because they make their money on the bar. So come buy a drink and <laughs> talk to me, whatever your issues are, whatever you want to do. I'm 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 about as I'm about as down to earth as it gets. I'm not I'm not. I mean, I like a suit and tie, but right now I'm work. I got jeans and cowboy boots because I'm in construction. <laughs> well, this is actually, I guess that I mean to say, this is the first nationwide platform that you've announced your your. Yes. Okay. See, I'm, I had to be your first. <laughs> Well, yep, you're my first nationwide announcement. <laughs> Don't tell your wife that. <laughs> anyway, um, you have a great website, and you have on there your platform, and you make no bones about it that you are, you know, a libertarian but also conservative at the same time. And and sometimes, you know, I find I do have a libertarian streak. So sometimes you find like, all right, fine, what side am I going to fall on on this one? And you really have to start and think about issues which I found that you did on yours. And um, education is a big one because you've got a lovely, lovely little kid now. Uh, congratulations. And um, uh, I, I, I don't have a kid. Oh, yet. I thought you did. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm confusing with someone else. No, no, my no. bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I just gave you some good luck. Maybe you will go home tonight and find maybe, your wife maybe. waving the little wand in front of you. Go, look, honey, it turned pink. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, maybe. Yeah, you're hoping. Uh, but on education, where do you stand? So I am 100% for. I listened to the some of your show already, and you had talked about how uh, for school choice, most definitely it should be because in North Carolina we have what's called private charter schools. Mm -hmm. So they're private to the sense that you have to get a spot in there, but they are publicly able to get in there and there's we have a lottery which if a seat opens up and there's a lottery for kids or anything like that but i certainly believe if a parent wants to take their kid if the parent's willing to, to drive their kid 30 minutes outside of whatever their district is to go to a better school they should be able to take their kid there and whatever taxes they're paying for their kid most definitely should go to that school because that's the school that their parents want them to take them to it shouldn't i i am not a fan of the department of education i I believe states, specifically even local, more local than that, counties and parents know what's best for their communities and what's best for their kids to understand. Yes, you need to have a baseline education of math, science, understanding of that stuff. But guess what? I'm a big proponent of trade school. I think that not everybody needs to go get a four-year degree. My four-year degree, I have a degree in political science and a minor in history because I was going to go to law school and then realize, you know what? I make more money in construction. So... That's a degree that's wasted. So, <laughs> so I, 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 and I went to a trade high school. So I did architecture for four years. I was going to be, I, was, I thought I was going to go be an architect. I went in the Marine Corps and that just kind of flew by the wayside. But I firmly believe that we need to expand upon our trade school program, have those trade schools link to whatever community college that they're, that they're, that's in their area in the network. And if a kid goes in as a freshman, he does his carpentry class from freshman to senior year and he graduates. Guess what? He should be able to walk out of high school with a certificate of apprenticeship or journeymanship or whatever and be able to go get a job. They have a skill they've learned. They've, they've been taught the proper way to do it in, a, in an educated environment. And most of them probably would do work programs on the summertime to go work on construction crew to get the real-life experience on doing that stuff, all be coordinated with parents and through the school. And guess what? There's there's like, I think I think last I saw there's 10 million jobs open in construction industry right now 
just waiting there for people to fill it. Whether it's plumbing, HVAC, carpentry, masonry, sheetrock, doesn't matter. And we need to get out of this mindset of that every kid is special and every kid needs to go to a four-year university. I honestly wish I hadn't gone to a four-year university. I wish I would have just stuck with my carpentry skills and done a trade school program, been a welder. Traveling welders make upwards of $35 an hour plus per diem. Wow. You know, that's more than, and, and, they, and they only have like maybe $10,000 in debt versus a kid of the same age gets out of college with a four-year degree from somewhere at whatever university with 60 to $200,000 in student loan debt they can't pay off with a degree in basket weaving, which doesn't give them any kind of experience whatsoever. <laughs> I know a few of those people. You know, it, it used to be the time you taught the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, history, real history where you taught the founding documents and all of a sudden now we've got our history books all rewritten and now we've got critical race theory, uh, transgenderism being pushed on or whatever the flavor of the month is. You know, our kids are being influenced too much by the federal government and whatever policy the shadow government puts in place. Should the federal government get out of education and allow it to go back down to the states solely? 100%. I am, I am so libertarian in this that I, I, would, I would abolish the Department of Education if I, had, if I could. Well, that's, that was easy. That was an easy answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a straight Hey, keep them coming. I'm, I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I ain't going to. Uh, and that's another thing I have an issue with is that everyone, all the politicians and everything want to talk about how they, they need to inform the public or the public is, is being informed because of this, this, that. And I think social media has done a real good job about keeping people up to that. But the problem is social media has also been skewed so much to one side in a lot of areas. So I would, if I actually was able to get up in the Congress, one of the things I would do is I would push to have one standalone bill. I don't understand why we have riders on everything. If a bill can't stand on its own two legs on, on its own merit, then vote it down and then you can point to people and say, hey, this guy voted this down, this guy voted this down, it was a standalone bill, whatever. But on the same topic, you need to have a, a, like a summary in plain English for the average American who doesn't understand 13 syllable words in their context to be able to understand what bill is being passed. Mm-hmm. That's how you inform the public and get them more involved. When you have this lawyer talk, luckily I, I, I can read lawyer talk, but still it's the driest read in the world sometimes. <laughs> and I just, and, and you're not, you're not going to get a farmer, you're not going to get a farmer who's going to go on the, the government website and read 2000 pages of whatever this bill is. No, if it can't go in a Man. postcard, yes, don't sure. pass it. Go ahead, Curtis. <laughs> Yeah, I got a different kind of question. Um, you're former Marine, right? Well, I can't say former because once a Marine, all, yeah. always a Marine. Um, yeah, like what is your take on the morale of um, those serving under this administration? Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's that's tough. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I, I can only tell from my personal experience, I got out of the military in 2013, because I did not want to suffer through oh, the last years of Obama and a potential Hillary Clinton presidency. Okay. So, 
that's why I got out. Now, in terms of people who are in the military, I, I have friends that are still in. And I can tell you right now, they ain't happy with the way the military is being trying to be skewed into this. I don't even know what I don't even know what to call it. Well, a social ultra experiment or laboratory. I was going to say ultra, ultra, ultra. Uh, uh, CRT fairy dust in everybody's pocket fucking policy. Pardon me. <laughs> hey, defecation occurs. <laughs> but uh, there has been such I'm a... a you know, I, it, it, took, it, took, it took me years not to drop an F-bomb in every every third word. So I, I've gotten really good about it. Uh, I, I, when so you get heated, sometimes it just it comes out. I, I tended bar in First Mardiv in New York and in the NCO club. Trust me. Oh. I've heard, I was married to Marine for a while. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> oh, man. But um, so to answer, answer your question, Curtis, I, I, don't, I don't really know from, what, from people that I know. Did we just lose? Why morale can be low. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. While the morale can be low, the people who are in, they're going to keep doing what they're going to do because it's not, it's not how do my feelings feel about this stuff or how is this going to influence me. I mean, yeah, there's some certain cases where the lieutenant colonel put his rank on the table and clapped proud, proud of him for doing that because he had more cojones than any of the generals who didn't throw their tabs on the, on the, on the bar. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's and more that's, of a service. That's what we need more of. Yeah. We need people that's not more afraid that. to stand by their convictions. Um, I hope he runs for office because I'll, and that's the thing too. It, it's a matter of when you get to a certain hierarchy in the military and I grew up in the military, I'm an eighth generation Marine. My stepdad's family has been in for, I don't even know how many years. Um, so I, I understand the hierarchy and the nature of uh, the military. And the problem is, is that when you get so high, you lose in rank, you lose the perception of what is, you don't remember what it's like to be back there or you thrown into the gutter because you're not going back. You know what I mean? It's, and that's another same policy why I have issues with bureaucrats or politicians who don't have any skin in the game writing ROEs for people who are going to have to enact them. I, when I was in Afghanistan, my first tour, you could shoot a spotter. My second tour, you could not shoot someone unless they were physically shooting at you. If they raised a gun at you, you couldn't even shoot them. We saw, we'd see an IED guy, a, a, a guy burying an IED, couldn't shoot him. We had to wait for him to leave and then go blow it up. Because the ROEs under, yeah. under Hillary Clinton and Ash Carter were so atrocious. I know that a number of Marines that I knew and my friends of mine that were in that they knew that didn't make it back simply because of the ROE. Well, for people that well, see, understand about Trump, he what, unleashed, Curtis, he untied their hands. Curtis, just and, so uh, that they were people, able to do what they're supposed to do. Curtis, just so people that are listening and don't understand what an ROE is, it's rules of engagement. Uh, so that engagement, our, our, yeah. our civilian and friends would know that it's actually rules of engagement. That. That's all right. No, no, just, no big deal, but you know the. the it's yeah, another version. The issue I have. The, the issue I have. Sorry, the, the, I was going to get this off. The one other issue I have is that you 
we had this hearts and minds campaign was sure great golden we'll be hearts and minds people that are trying to kill us Kumbaya. my big thing is we're the united states marine corps we don't do kumbaya we're first in last out we're slayers we're warriors we don't play patty cake with the enemy we go we annihilate them and then we go home but you this new things. yeah we're, we're we're the demolition crew that's essentially what we are <laughs> and and it's and it's the army is the one who's the construction crew they come build it back up and then when they mess that up and they have to we have to come back in and re, redo it then that's what it is but no it's it's one of those things where it's just it's you need to get people that on the armed service committee I, I personally think that there should be a, 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 a rules of the House or rules of the Senate that you can't serve on the Armed Service Committee unless you either have served yourself or got immediate family members that are in service. So then you got skin in the game. You know mm -hmm. what it's like. You know what bad RPs and bad stuff is going to do to you because you've been there, you've done it, or you have family that's been there and done it. So that's just something. That's, that, that's like a, a pipe dream for me. I know that's not going to happen, but... If I had it my way, Commander-in-Chief would be a veteran. I don't think you should be able to be Secretary of Defense unless you're a uh, military service. Exactly. Like, ask Carter, what does, what does mathematician know about war? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and what I found ironic is that I call him General Milli Vanilli. <laughs> Sorry, I have no respect for the man. Um, he, they General show Milli is a straight to the uniform. Yeah, you, you see um, Ashton, you see Millie Vanilli up there, and they've got all, what we call lettuce. All the awards, all rows upon rows upon rows of all these medals. But if you look at pictures back when you watched Eisenhower or MacArthur, they have like a single row. And both of them had tons of medals. But for some reason, the more you're wearing on your chest and displaying, the more incompetent I seem to find you. Are you finding that too? Yeah. It, 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 we call it people who um, go in and try to get as many ribbons as they can. We call them ribbon chasers. So the people who just go out and they try to get as many awards as they can. It's, and the Marine Corps is not necessarily too bad about that. I mean, the Army, I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. The Army, you you uh, you go through the chow hall line, not stubbing your toe. You're getting a ribbon. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, this is a true story. When but, I attended bar in the NCO club, the second the person hit the door, you knew if it was a Marine, a Marine reservist, Navy, <laughs> Navy reservist, then you have the Army. <laughs> so you knew by the cut of the ninety chair, seconds. Oh, uh, whatever happened? What is going on with my show? What happened here? Um, something happened here. So I'm hoping I'm not going to get cut off real soon. Jeez, this is weird. So, go ahead, Curtis. What's I got to do this real, real fast. Otherwise, I think we're going to lose. Curtis? Okay. So, so Max. Uh, you probably don't know, but um, I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran of the sixty seconds. And okay. at that time, I, I really liked the template they put out. You know, we all went over there, and we pretty much stayed. You know, as units. You know, I mean, 
sometimes during the Vietnam War that people were coming in and out, coming in and out. And I really yeah. didn't think that was the way to win a war. During Desert Storm, we all went in there. Um, we we executed. We accomplished what we went in there, in there to do. And then, you know, we left. But we did leave some people behind just to, you know, oversee things. And they don't seem to fight wars like that anymore, you know. And I think it's sad. But we don't we don't fight to win. That's what I'm trying to say. And and Let Desert Storm was really the last war that we you know that involved tanks and things like that and aircraft, and we went in there to win, and we did. I don't know what we accomplished over the last 20 years in um, the Middle East. Now that uh, we're giving up Afghanistan, it's almost it's almost like a repeat of, of the Russians. You know, the Russians got chased out too <laughs> by the Taliban yeah, it- who were supplied by us. So what are your thoughts well, on that? Do we need to fight wars again like we used to or what? We need to use our superior advantage in technology, long-range ballistic missiles, offshore uh, triad systems. We have all these things. I honestly don't believe Drones. that we need to put boots on the ground again unless it's like, we're going in to save people from like a genocide. And even then you can do a lot of damage from the air. Yeah. Um, I mean, just take Afghanistan for instance, in Trump's platform, the minute one of those Taliban groups started acting hostile, you think Trump wouldn't have droned the crap out of them? No. Of course it, he would have. Yeah. He would have bombed the crap out of them, bombed the crap out of three other guys just for good measure. And then you'd have been like, all right, now we're going to stay a little longer to make sure you guys don't, you guys going to get in line. Um, but we wouldn't have lost 13, 13 lives because of incompetence in the White House. Well, you know, you're talking about That's incompetence. Right. One of the things, your issues on your state platform is about government corruption. For some reason, uh, it's the law for thee, but not for me. And things that are going on inside of Congress... If I were to do them, I'd be behind bars inside of trading, you know, little little gift exchanges. How do how do we clean up the corruption in government? How do we drain the swamp? So I had of a on my platform. If you look at it, it's actually my corruption category for the federal level because I have a state platform and a federal platform just to differentiate. And I actually call it the Corrupt Politician and Bureaucrat Accountability Act. Um, and what that does is essentially it would require a independent third-party CPAs and auditors to go through every single member. They can even have an office in Congress to go through every single, uh, or we can even create its own department, but have every single congressman and senator, all of your emails for the past year that aren't classified, all of your, all of your uh, social media, all your banking statements, everything else like that, it all goes through. If there's a flag on the play, they they let the they let, they let the Congress know that like hey, Pelosi, you're we got a flag on the play because we uh, there's this discrepancy with some uh, trade deals you did at this point in time. So then what Pelosi would have to do is she would have to step down from her committees temporarily until the investigation is done. And it wouldn't be like a two year investigation; it'd be a real quick audit, three months. And then if she's if they say they find yep here's here's insider trading there you go. Sergeant Arm takes her, puts her in cuffs, turns her over to. Capitol Police, and then she waits in the tombs until she gets bonded out. 
I'm tired of politicians going away. Swalwell should have been in jail two years ago. Eric Swalwell, Congressman. No one knows he's dated a what is it a, a, a was it a Russian spy? No, or, Chinese. Or something like that. Chinese. Chinese. Chinese spy. That's what it was. Yeah, Chinese spy. And like gave her information. Like Pillow talk. you need to be in jail. Pillow talk. Yeah, like, and you can't tell me he didn't know. I'm sorry if you're a congressman and you're single and you're dating someone. I don't know what is going on. My computer system is acting absolutely nuts. I'm sorry about that. For some reason, it's showing That's some right. of the people no. that I'm off air, I'm on air. I just, holy cow. I, I got, I, I'm, I'm swinging. Yeah, but Go I, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. That's right. As, as I was saying, if, if you're a congressman and you're dating someone, you're single or whatnot, and you don't do your due diligence on a full background check to make sure they're not going to be a bad person for you, then you're just incompetent and need to go anyways. Okay. We still there? Yep, I'm still here. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get, because I'm running between two computers where I'm doing the show between two, so I'm just trying to make sure that they're doing the same thing. Holy moly. I'm sorry about that, Max. Uh, every once in a while... Friday the 13th falls on the wrong day of the week. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it is a huge thing. When we're looking at what Nance, Nasty Pelosi and, excuse my language, Bitch McConnell is doing, it, it just drives my <clears throat> blood to boil. <laughs> and when I, I look at the, the crap they're doing, um, there is no reason why there should not be articles of impeachment on the floor right now with Joe Biden's name across it with Kamala Harris. Afghanistan alone, that alone should be articles for impeachment. The 25th <clears throat> Amendment, when you watched him in, in his speech yesterday, should have been evoked the moment he walked away from the microphone. His interview with George Stephanopoulos, yeah. or Sniffleanopoulos, um, as I call him, but he... Articles of impeachment, the 25th I mean, Amendment. What is going on with this government? And we need people like you to get in there and do a Marjorie Taylor Greene on their heads. So here's the thing is that there was actually a bill back in the 90s, I'm not mistaken, to implement term limits into Congress. And Congress voted it down. Well, we're 20 years later, and or 30, almost 30 years later now, and we have... We went from, uh, what was it, $2 trillion in debt then to $22 trillion now. So obviously not choosing for term limits in the 90s was a bad call. So I'm for term limits personally myself. Um, I also don't think that the way we currently have it is all right. So currently Congress been to serve two years, but then they have to, re they have to run for re-election every two years. Well, the problem with that is that you essentially, once you get elected, you're immediately campaigning again. So you're not doing you're not spending your 100 percent of your effort to actually do the job you're hired to do because you're still wait you're you're worried about the next election i just think that's the stupidest thing in the world and so part of my bill would be to do two four-year terms for congress and two six-year terms for senate that and then you would alternate uh then you would alternate uh half of the house uh in the midterm cycle, and then the other half of the house in the and the general election or the yeah the general election cycle. 
So that's how you would keep it going. Unfortunately, not a lot of people pay now, attention to the midterm. They always look at the general election. So you're yeah, always so, going to expect a lower turnout. It might then give more attention to the midterm elections. Then. Well, and there's another thing that I don't, I'm not a big fan of. So, um, so the, let me get, uh, 16th amendment, which was 17th created the IRS 16th amendment, um, made it to where senators were now elected by popular vote. Yeah. By the state. Cause it used to be, it used to be that you would elect your, your state senators to go to your your state legislator, we have North Carolina, we have the General Assembly, and we have a House and we have a Senate. And the senators in the General Assembly would pick two people that were elected by their by the population in North Carolina to represent the state. The reason they did that is because it put a check and balance. Right. That senator went to Congress or went, went to the Senate and didn't do what was in the best interest of the state. He'd go back down. They'd be like, nope, we're not sending you back this time. We're going to send somebody else. And now that senator, that state senator, He's not getting elected by, in his next election cycle for his seat, he's not getting elected by the entire state. He's getting elected by his small constituency, which are the ones who know him. He lives there. They know who he is. And he has to be held accountable to a much smaller demographic, which is a better check and balance. I'm actually, if we can get a convention to state, I'm actually for adding term limits, protecting the Second Amendment, strengthening the First Amendment, and adding in their term limits and to also ratify and eliminate the 16th and 17th then I don't think the IRS needs to exist anyways. Make let the Treasury do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I would rather see the fair tax. Forget about IRS or anything else like that. I, I pay the tax when I want to buy the item I purchase, not the other way around. Uh, Uncle Sam, don't come with your hand out. When I decide if I get that $200 TV or the $2,000 TV, I will decide how much tax I want to give to you. But it sounds like you're having so problems with your, your your sound there. Oh, my bad. Let me. I was uh, outside. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm working. I, I'm working in a community, so construction's going back and forth. Um. <laughs> so no. In uh, in I told you I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a working blue collar guy. I'm not sitting back in a in a lounge chair office in a sitting on daddy's trust fund to let me go through and run for an office. So, <laughs> I don't think um, Colin would let you. Colin would definitely beat the crap out if you tried that. <laughs> oh, oh that, that, that's a, that's, that's a sling at Rouser because he's a trust fund kid who first job was, was as a lobbyist. Um, so in North Carolina, so I, I own my own company uh, and I started with, $400, that was it. That's all I had to get my first month of insurance and my license to be a, just a general handyman. Fast forward six years, I'm closing out like a $1.3 million job for this GC. He brought me my, my foreman's on for me as a project manager. My foreman's a super, and they wanted like 35, 30% profit margin. I made them 41. They gave me 10 months to do it. I did it in eight. So I, within a six year span, going from $400 and doing $20, $30 door repairs and stuff like that to go into doing $1.3 million of insurance work after Florence. I think that's a pretty good track record that I know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to budgeting and everything else. I've always been in the red, or always been in the black, and never been in the red. So one of my things, though, I have an issue with in North Carolina is as a contractor, 
Not only do I pay, if I buy a tool, for instance, I buy a tool, I pay, this, I pay this, the state sales tax on it, and then I use that tool for work. Well, here's the stupid thing, is that I now, because I'm a business owner, that tool, I have to pay the county a tax on oh. the tool that I've already paid the state tax on. Yeah, don't get me started on that one, because I, I closed a business because of that. Holy cow. But uh, Max... And they, and they, and, and they, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I'm sorry, but oh, we're running out of time because I got my next guest up in the bullpen already. People can go to Facebook and go Max for Congress. You also have a link I have here on the show page, Max for Congress, that they can go there. They can donate, and if they live in the North Carolina area, they can volunteer for your campaign, help you get the word out there. God bless you, Max. I'm going to have to have you back on again. So we got plenty of time before your election and you end up being a member of Congress and I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> but, Max, I wish you the best of luck. I'm always, I'm always for the people. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am, and uh, I'm happy to come on any time. Well, I'll give your mom and dad a hug from me. Take care. God bless. Well, do. God bless. God bless, Curtis. Take care. All right. Yep. Max. Thanks. Bye. Check it out, Max for Congress, the link on the show page. Go to the Facebook page, Max for Congress. North Carolina District 7, we've got another one coming up with North Carolina, South Carolina District 7 here. So District 7s across the uh, nation. Uh, people are running for those seats. I don't know what it is with the number 7, but roll them 7s. Anyway, talking about evil sins, uh, well, and a welcome to the show, Robert Walter. He is the New York Regional Director of Chosen People Ministry. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you today? Good afternoon. I'm uh, very blessed. Thank you. Yeah, well, there is so much going on. And tomorrow is 9-11. And you've got a uh, conference going on today, tonight, and tomorrow uh, in partnership with the Alliance uh, for the Peace of Jerusalem. Tell us about that. What is going on? Yes, yes. It's very exciting, actually. Um, you know, obviously tomorrow uh, is 9-11, and it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So we, uh, we, after much prayer, we thought it would be a great idea to host a conference uh, to honor uh, the fallen and also the survivors on the 20th anniversary, and also to try to take um, sort of a, a more biblical view of uh, the new Middle East, and uh, what's been happening over there, and obviously we see what's uh, what's going on with Afghanistan right now, and uh, and um, also you know looking back to see how 9/11 shaped uh, the American Christian perspective on Israel, and and so on and so forth. So we've got a wonderful lineup of speakers, and um, and yeah, we're we're really looking forward to this. It sounds exciting. Now, you are based up in Brooklyn, New York. Now, um, I used to walk a lot of footposts down Lee Avenue through the Hasidim. Um, you're actually out there oh, yeah. bringing the word of Christ into the Jewish community. How is that going? That's, that's right. So our mission statement at Chosen People Ministries is we're like this. We exist to pray for evangelize, disciple, and serve the Jewish people, and to equip and encourage other believers to do the same thing. Uh, so we've been, um, you know, staying, <laughs> staying very busy, honestly. Uh, I mean, New York City, outside of the land of Israel, is the largest Jewish community in the world. There are nearly two million Jewish people that live in the New York metropolitan area, and uh, many of them have never heard the gospel. 
but God has been really faithful to our ministry throughout uh, the uh, almost 128 years that we've been in existence. And uh, even this past this past weekend, it was uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the you know the Jewish New Year, and uh, we've planted a Messianic congregation here in Brooklyn, and we had services, and afterwards. Uh, we had the privilege and the honor of uh, baptizing three new Jewish believers who have been part of our congregation uh, over the past few years, growing in their faith in Jesus. Well, there is a, a nice, a, a growing community of, G, of Jews for Jesus. Um, I've, I've heard about them. I've, I've gotten stuff from them. Uh, it is something where if you're a traditional Orthodox Jew, you do not believe that the Messiah has come. They do not believe in Christ being the Messiah. But we're finding a large number of people, not just Jewish, but also Muslim, turning to Christianity and to Christ. Right, right. And we thank God for that. I mean, we, we certainly see uh, the Lord moving uh, in the United States. Uh, but also in Israel, among the Jewish community, the Israelis in Israel, and um, and among some of the Arab population there as well. And we're really excited because even at this conference, uh, so if anybody's interested in the conference, it's called 9-11 and the New Middle East, and you can find all the information at 911theconference.com. And uh, we're going to hear from uh, a number of Jewish believers in Jesus but also uh, Tom and Joanne Doyle, who lead a ministry uh, that focuses uh, specifically on bringing the gospel to uh, people in the Islamic world. Uh, so it's really, uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's really an exciting thing uh, that we've got going on here with this conference, which starts tonight and uh, goes all day tomorrow. Is this something they can watch online? Yes, absolutely. So... Um, uh, it actually, if anybody's in the New York area, there's still time if you wanted to come in person. It's going to be held at Trinity Baptist Church on East 61st Street in Manhattan. Uh, but also, it will be available online. Uh, again, you can either go to uh, 911theconference.com or you can go to our YouTube channel. Uh, just look us up, Chosen People Ministries, on YouTube, and you'll, uh, we'll, we'll be live streaming the event on there as well. It sounds interesting. What are some of the issues you're going to be bringing up in the conference? Yeah, so some of the topics uh, that we're going to be talking about, um, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be uh, taking a look at how the events of 9-11 uh, have really shaped the American Christian perspective on Israel over the past 20 years. Uh, we're also going to be taking a look at uh, how the latest developments uh, with what's happened in Afghanistan and what's happening in Afghanistan, uh, how that might unfold and, and even contribute more to the future of the Middle East going forward. Uh, we're also going to be hearing stories and testimonies of many of the first responders uh, who were in New York City during the 9-11 attacks. We're going to be hearing from survivors uh, and even testimonies of those who came to faith uh, in the aftermath of the attacks. Wow. Wow. You know, it's it's interesting because one of the most iconic pictures from 9-11 is when the two cross beams came down in the shape of a perfect cross mm -hmm. and they erected that back up within the wreckage, which I do believe that crucifix is now in the 9-11 uh, museum. Am I right? 
That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the 9-11 Museum, which is uh, not far from Ground Zero. And um, actually, so one of our staff members, her name is Darlene Line. Uh, she's on staff with us now at uh, Chosen People Ministries. But when 9-11 happened, she was working for the federal government and she was part of the cleanup and the search and rescue team uh, among the first responders uh, down at Ground Zero when 9-11 happened, when the attacks happened. And um, honestly, uh, those crosses uh, that, uh, it, uh, that, you know, were formed from the cross beams from the wreckage, uh, it was a huge part of how God moved in her life personally and moved in her heart and eventually drew her into ministry full time. So, I'm, um, uh, again, if, uh, if anyone would like to uh, join the conference, you'll be able to hear her testimony, her story uh, firsthand. And it's, uh, it's really, honestly, it's, it's very powerful. Well, you know, what I found curious is how did Chosen People Ministries come about? It was from a, an immigrant who happened to have been a rabbi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so back in 1892, a uh, Hungarian Orthodox Jewish rabbi by the name of Leopold Cohen, he emigrated from Hungary and came to the United States. And he was actually walking on the Lower East Side of Manhattan one day. And, you know, God, God had already started doing a work in his heart. Uh, he had a lot of questions about the Messiah. So he's walking on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, 1892, and, you know, at that time, there were tens of thousands of Jewish immigrants living in that area, and he walked by a church that had a sign in Yiddish, and Yiddish uh, is like a German-Hebrew slang, which was uh, the mother tongue of many, many Eastern European Jewish people at that time. So he was curious, and he went inside, and he heard the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, being proclaimed in his heart language in Yiddish. And a few days after that, he came to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah that he'd been looking for and waiting for and hoping for. Uh, so he was burdened right away to bring the gospel to uh, the Jewish people, to his people. Uh, so he went, uh, he was trained, he, he was discipled. And two years later, in 1894, he began our ministry uh, in Brooklyn. At the time, it was called the Brownsville Mission to the Jews. And eventually, it became known as the American Board of Missions to the Jews. And, and now we're Chosen People Ministries. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's, uh, uh, it's a growing ministry. And we are uh, represented in, uh, I believe, 20 different countries now around the world. And wherever you'll find a large Jewish community, you'll find that we'll have uh, some staff, some work uh, going on in that area. Well, how did you come to end up in Brooklyn doing this? Well, me personally. So yeah. I, I'm, from, uh, I'm from New Jersey originally. Yeah. Uh, I'm from, uh, I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey, which is right across the Hudson. So actually when I was a kid, we lived on the uh, second floor in an apartment. And when I looked out the window, I could see the Twin Towers. I could see the the New York skyline. And uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, living a life of rebellion and uh, just a lot of darkness, uh, God got a hold of me. I, I came to uh, the end of myself and I cried out to God and I said, if you're real, show me. And within moments of praying that prayer, he answered. And it's like scales fell from my eyes and I just had this undeniable realization that Jesus answered my prayer. And uh, I was born again. And uh, I eventually 
within a few months of that happening, I had to get away from friends and influences in New Jersey. So I moved down to West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, that's where I was discipled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was discipled down there and uh, introduced to Chosen People Ministries. And the Lord gave me a very strong burden to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. So uh, my wife, I got married down there and my wife and I moved up to Brooklyn uh, almost 12 years ago. And uh, we've been serving here ever since. Well, I, I hate to tell you, Curtis, no offense. We have a name for Florida. It's called Southern New York. So when you said West Palm Beach, <laughs> oh man, try go down I-95 around the West Palm wow. Beach area. That's <laughs> bumper to bumper. <laughs> so when you said you oh, yeah. New yeah. Jersey, you didn't go too far. It's Southern New York over there or yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. They call it the Yeah, you Colorado. must be talking about South Florida because where <laughs> I live, you know, it's like in a country. I might as well be in Tennessee somewhere. <laughs> Pretty close. You're close to the panhandle. So that, that that's real southern, the panhandle. But Oh, yeah. The panhandle, they call that L.A., uh, lower Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Ron DeSantis, we love you. We just want to make fun of the state. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, tomorrow is 9-11, and besides the conference, are you doing anything else in remembrance of the 20th anniversary? Well, yeah, I mean, at the conference, there's going to be a lot of uh, memorializing going on. And, you know, it's kind of like when we look in Scripture at various times in the Bible, we see certain figures erect memorial stones. Uh, so Jacob in Genesis 28, as he's running from his brother Esau, and he's about to go into this sort of exile, he encounters God at Bethel, and then he erects a memorial stone. Uh, Joshua in Joshua 4, leading the Israelites into the promised land, they erect this, uh, this uh, memorial stone, uh, this memorial of 12 stones. And later on, Samuel does the same thing in 1 Samuel 7, when God thwarts the Philistine attack against Israel. So all, there's a lot of uh, memorializing going on with, in, in the Bible. Uh, and these memorials are, are intended to draw our attention to God's goodness and God's faithfulness, usually in the midst of a tumultuous time, usually in the midst of, you know, whether it's war or exile or attacks. So through this conference and through uh, remembering 9-11, that's, that's really our heart here. We're not obviously going to erect a memorial stone, but we want to have this conference so that we can honor the fallen, uh, the survivors, and, and really draw all of our attention back to God's goodness and faithfulness, uh, God's goodness and faithfulness to us in the midst of the attack and even beyond the attack. Uh, so the, really, that's, that's our heart uh, behind the conference and what we're, what we're hoping to achieve here well, over the next two days. It sounds fantastic. Um, you also have the Chosen People Ministries also has a podcast you do. Uh, tell us about that and where people can find that. Sure, sure, yeah. We, so we actually have a, a podcast and a radio program. Uh, our podcast is called the Our Hope Podcast. So if you go to ourhopepodcast.com, you can listen to it there. Uh, and then we also have a, a radio program called uh, The Chosen People, and that currently airs on over 100 stations nationwide. And you can check that out by going to chosenpeople.com slash radio. 
Uh, and you can listen to past episodes and, uh, and learn more about, uh, about what we have going on uh, through the airwaves and through the podcast waves as well. Well, I have on the show page a link uh, to Chosen People Ministry, so people can click on that and go in all the areas that you're talking about. And you said tickets are still available for this conference. Um, a lot or just a couple of few? Yeah, so again, if, you're, if someone is in the New York area and is interested in coming, uh, we still have space. Um, uh, there's, there's definitely still... Uh, ample room for people to join us either tonight. Tonight, things begin at 7 p.m. Tomorrow, we'll begin at 8.30 a.m. and go until 3.30 p.m. Uh, and if you can't make it in person, again, you can join us online. You can watch the live stream. Uh, the, uh, the events will be recorded as well, so they'll be available in, in perpetuity. Uh, so just go to uh, 911theconference.com. That's the numbers, 911 theconference.com. Wow. It, it sounds like fantastic work you're doing. Um, if you had one conversion that stood out from all the others, who would it be that you, you felt was the most wonderful, the most rewarding? Oh, wow. Well, um, that's a great question. Uh, uh, honestly, when I was living in West Palm Beach, there was a young man, uh, and I'll be quick with this story. Um, there was a young man who um, who was living in West Palm, and he was an Orthodox Jewish man. He was probably about 21 years old, and at the time, I was, I think I was like 22 or 23. So uh, we met him in a bookstore, me and a little group of friends, and um, he had a, he was wearing a yarmulke, and he was wearing heat heat, they're called, the white fringes that are on the four corners of the garment, and he had a big Star of David necklace. So we started a conversation with him, uh, and it turns out that he had a lot of questions about the Messiah. So we invited him to come to a, uh, a Friday night Bible study that Chosen People Ministries was, was putting on, uh, and he agreed to come. So he, he comes uh, after the study. We're all sitting around and drinking coffee and eating you know cupcakes and things like that. The technical term we have for that is schmoozing. Yep. Uh, so everyone's sitting around schmoozing, and I'm just listening and watching as the Chosen People Ministries staff person who was teaching that night got into a conversation with this young, young man. And they're going back and forth, back and forth for like 20 minutes. And a lot of the stuff at the time, this was my, my really, honestly, my first introduction to uh, the gospel going to Jewish people. So a lot of what they were talking about was sort of over my head. Uh, but then after about 20 minutes, of their, them going back and forth, the room started to get quiet, right? And it was like heavy. And you could see the look on my young Orthodox Jewish friend's face. He looked scared. And the Chosen People staff member, his name was Ben Alpert, he looks eye to eye with this young Orthodox man and he just says, you know it's him, don't you? And my young Orthodox friend, he nodded his head in, in agreement and his eyes just welled up with tears and he just began to weep. And wow. as that happened, as he was acknowledging and, and coming to believe that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, God lit a spark in my heart. That was the moment when I knew that God was calling me to be a part of that, to be a part of Jewish people hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel. And I'll never forget the first words that he said when he finally composed himself. He said, why didn't they tell us? Why didn't mm. they tell us? And in that moment, for me, it was like, 
it was like a knife in the heart. I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, why? Why, uh, why is this my first exposure to the gospel going to the Jewish people? Why, why is this the first I'm hearing about this? If there's any ethnic people group on this planet who should know the gospel and should be hearing the gospel, it's the Jewish people, because Jesus was Jewish. All yeah. of his disciples were Jewish. The, the New Testament is a very Jewish book. So um, just, yeah, in answer to your question, uh, for me, that was the most significant uh, transformed heart uh, uh, that I've ever, you know, witnessed firsthand because of how, I guess, monumental it was, uh, not just in his life, obviously, but also how God used it in my life as well. Powerful stories, powerful testimonies. People can find you at Chosen People Ministry. There's a link uh, on the show page that they can go over to you and learn more and partake in the uh, conference tonight and tomorrow. God bless you, Robert, for the hard work you do and the faith you have. Thank you so much. God bless you as well. Well, enjoy your weekend, even though it's a tough one. Take care. All right, Robert Walker. I'm sorry, Walter. Robert Walter, check me out, chosenpeopleministry.com. We're waiting for our next guest to call in. Today seems like one of those days, uh, Curtis, that nothing is going right, is it? <laughs> well, it's, it's a little fuzzy here and there, but... We we focus hard enough. We'll we'll see our way through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there As is. We have been doing. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, uh, with the technical difficulties, with everything that, that we've been throwing at <clears throat> us, uh, we will muddle through it. But uh, I'm trying to get a hold of uh, the um, representative. Next guest. For our next guest. Heritage Foundation. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, but, Again, I hate this cell phone. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, just letting him know that we're awaiting uh, our next guest to call in. Because um, there's so much we want to talk about. You know, Joe Biden, Afghanistan withdrawal, the 9-11 style commissioner to investigate uh, Biden. As if that would ever, 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 ever happen. No way. <laughs> no. Uh, so... And they're Teflon. They are Teflon, you know? Well, they protect each other, you know? I mean, the, the they got the gatekeepers, and those are like the Justice Department, the FBI, you know, the, not the, you know, the, the, the people on the ground, but I'm talking about the um, supervisors and people up in the upper echelon. They're the gatekeeper, you know, gatekeepers to keeping these folks out of jail. I mean, think about it. Hillary did everything that if I had done it, I would probably be in Fort Leavenworth for yeah. 50 years. Yeah. But yeah. She, she doesn't even get a court date. She doesn't even appear in court, you know. Comey, another one, James Comey, he should be in Fort Le you know, Leavenworth. So, you know, they do look after each other, you know, unless your name is Donald Trump. No, yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Um, one thing I wanted to, to bring out, um, when President Biden left our citizens and our allies behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, and all abandoned. these... Abandoned. Yeah, yeah, just... He abandoned them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we had veterans, special ops and other veterans, and just common everyday people doing anything and everything to help get 
are these innocent people from behind enemy lines. So when we had four Americans that succeeded in getting out, and it was announced that four Americans were rescued, uh, I believe it was uh, two women and two children, no, a mother and her three children, let me correct that, a mother and three children. Um, they were able to rescue them and get them out safely. And you don't acknowledge the special ops guys, the veterans, the retired guys that left work, left home, and went back into the battle zone to help get these people out safely. Who takes credit? Not the Pineapple Express, as they called it, or whatever they called it, Dunkirk, Operation Dunkirk. There's all different names that they use, these mm -hmm. special ops. Um, who takes credit for it? That dithering, senile old idiot who happens to be our president. Don't blame me, guys. I voted for Trump. Um, he goes on camera and takes credit for rescuing these individuals. Talk about stolen valor. Talk about stolen valor. If there is ever a case for <clears throat> criminal prosecution of stolen valor, it's this administration. I, I, I saw that, I watched that on TV, and I blew my stack. God bless my mom. <laughs> my mom, she thinks the same way along I do. And, you know, <laughs> this little 89-year-old Italian, woo, the only thing she doesn't do is curse. <laughs> but, but a private team rescued the family. And, and the department tried to take credit for rescuing the mother and her three kids. But they had no, no help. They had absolutely no help from the State Department. You call, and matter of fact, the State Department, Jen Psaki, whatever her name is, put out this phone number telling people to call this phone number. If you're behind enemy lines and you need help, you, you call this number, tell us where we're at, and we'll try to get help to you. Well, you call the number, it's not set up. It tells you it's a non-working number. Talk about a kick in the teeth. What else can this administration do that is just so wrong? Well, the way I see it, these guys, you know, when it comes to the media and their pals in Congress, they could do no wrong, you know. Um, they can get away with just about everything. It's scaring the pants of all of them, you know, off of every American here. Well, most of them. I'm not one of them, you know with this, this COVID scare. And like I said, if people would just do a little research, you got the internet. I mean, back in the day when I was growing up, I had to go to the library. I actually had to get out the house and walk three or four, maybe five blocks to the library to research. They have it right in the palm of their hands, you know, the internet. And there's a saying that's going around now, you know, we, we have uh, people they live in a, a, a sea of information, but they're drowning in the ocean of um, ignorance, you know. Well, or maybe I, it's the other way around. But anyway, you get the point. You know, they just don't know how to do research or just too lazy or what. Well, the information is there. It looks like Blog Talk Radio disconnected us, even though it's still showing that it is recording. So I'll have Broadcasting. to try. Yeah. So I'll have to turn around and try to re-upload the audio so people can hear the last hour. 
Um, I'm going to just let them know uh, that I'm going to reload the audio after we, after I get off live. So I apologize for those that are trying to listen in on Blog Talk Radio. This is another reason why I've got to get off of BTR. I mean, this, yeah. this, is, this is inexcusable. I mean, with things starting to play when it shouldn't play and being cut off when it shouldn't be cut off, I, I don't know what to say with these guys anymore. Really, I truly, truly don't know. Anyway. I don't know. They, they may be, they may, they may have been bought out by George Soros, you know. Who I knows? wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Anyway, I'm going to let them know that we are live on uh, YouTube and Facebook. Okay. So I do know that that is because I'm, I'm looking at the feed right now on yes, Facebook. Okay. And yeah, I just put it over to the feed at uh, YouTube, and that is also live there. I just... It's it's frustrating. It really is frustrating. But you know, have you been reading about these this lockdown in Australia? They had one case of COVID, and they put the entire nation on lockdown. <laughs> oh my God! Well, oh man, there was an animal rescue uh, facility called the Rural Outback Animal Respute and Rescue. And the woman that ran it arranged with the, the council, the local government, to pick up 15 dogs, including 10 puppies. But the local officials citing COVID-19 lockdowns, what did they do? They shot and killed the dogs and puppies to prevent this volunteer and other volunteers from leaving their homes to tend to these innocent animals. Is that not sick? Yeah. The fear of COVID that has, it sits below number 10 in the highest incidence of death with a 99 point something or 98 point something or 97 point, whatever. It's more than 90% of the people that get it recover fully. Only a small amount yeah, of people. I mean, and it's like 0.00002% will yeah, end up I dying mean, from COVID, COVID alone. And if someone does catch COVID and if they have cancer or lung disease or diabetes or any other morbidity, COVID just speeds it along a little bit, but it's not the cause of. I mean, you can get pneumonia, and pneumonia can cause you, if you have cancer or lung disease or anything else like that, it'll help speed up your, your, your going to the other side. Well, does it mean it's the. This is what I get from people who seem to want to validate their fears um, and their belief in what's going on with this COVID business. And they would tell me, oh, you know, a cousin of mine just died from COVID. Or a friend I know, you know, her nephew just died from it. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm you know, sorry to hear that. But the, the, I'm sure people dying from every every other thing, every other thing out there at the hospital, you know, including pneumonia, asthma, heart attacks, cancer. But you don't hear that in the news. You know, when did anybody report that, hey, 
my cousin just died from cancer, you know. So everybody be in fear, you know, cancer. Actually, when I was growing up, cancer, you you talked about being afraid. A lot of people were afraid back in the 70s of getting cancer because the survival rate, and I think that's what what we need to focus on with COVID. We can survive, but at a time when cancer was out in the 60s and, and 70s, it was low survival. You know, it was almost like a, a death sentence if you were told you had cancer, but that's not the case today. So nobody really, you know, think about cancer much, you know, unless you, like, were diagnosed with third or fourth stage cancer, you know, stage four, stage three cancer. But uh, I don't know. It's just people just don't think. They don't do their research, and they, they, they live in fear for for no reason. There's no reason to live in fear of this thing. If you want to talk about plagues and, and pandemics, you had to think, go back to the, the, you know, black plague that killed anywhere from 70 to 200 million people just in Europe. Now, that was a killer. Yeah. Well, you people, people that was like would, about 25%. With the black plague, people would wake up in the morning feeling perfectly fine and be buried at night. That is how fast yeah. that took people. Within right. less than 24 hours, 12, 10, 8 hours, you, you wake up perfectly fine and all of a sudden you get the plague. And that's it. That's it. But that this is not the Black Plague. This is not the influenza outbreak that we knew back in the 1920s or the 1910s. This is not the influenza outbreak I knew as a cop in the streets of Brooklyn back in the 1980s. But yeah, a hell of a lot more people were dying from the influenza, from Legionnaire's disease, from AIDS. And at that point, they weren't even sure how AIDS was exactly spread. They knew it was through, you know, this, the, the gay community. But at one point, I took down a prostitute that had AIDS. And she turned around and bit me and broke the skin. And they weren't sure whether or not it could be transferred through saliva. So I went, just to be cautious, to go have a test, making sure, and with the follow-up. That doctor treated me like a piece of crap. Like a piece of crap. I wonder what that doctor is doing today mm. with the COVID. He's probably got himself triple masked and triple vaccined and boosted all over the place. But we did what was politically incorrect to protect the health of everyone that we dealt with because we knew we're out there in the public and we had to protect mm -hmm. ourselves in order to protect the public. But today, when we're telling you you're better off not being masked, you're better off if you do get the virus and recover, because you've got a better chance of recovering from the virus than getting those, those vaccines that can cause heart yeah. inflammation, blood clots. Uh, like I said, several months ago, I looked at the statistics. And several months ago, I think it was three, maybe four months ago, I looked. It was over 10,000 deaths from the vaccine. That's yeah. not a small number, number of people. That. That's not a small oh, no. number of people. People that have become paralyzed, oh. lost the ability to walk because of the vaccines. Mm. It causes, I forget what they call the syndrome, but there is some sort of a syndrome that attacks the nervous system and your muscles. 
So things that you could normally mm -hmm. do, like picking up a spoon to feed yourself, you can't do anymore. But no, they don't talk about that. Wow. And my point being is that yeah. I, I subscribe to the Epic Times, or as people pronounce the name correctly in Greek, Epoch, E-P-O-C-H, the Epic Times. And they also have a TV station, and they have a two-part series that I'm going to urge everyone to go watch. Dr. Robert Marone, um, I'm sorry, not Marone, Maloney, Dr. Robert Maloney, um, he was the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. And he is, he has a talk where he's interviewed, and he has a panel there with him um, talking about the vaccine. And he shatters all those myths. You've got to watch it. You've got to arm yourself and arm yourself with knowledge. And I'm telling you, folks, this administration is giving you a bunch of hogwash. And I, I don't even know if a day can pass when this administration can come out and tell the truth. I dare anyone to find some, <laughs> somewhere along the way either a spokesman or Queen Camilla Mella or crazy Uncle Joe comes out and ever, ever hear a word of truth outside of coming out, out of their mouth. I don't think it's possible. I don't can think they spell, it, Can they spell the word? Truth? Can they even spell the word? Truth? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's a, a concept that is so alien to them. Alien to them. So, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> It, it, it is absolutely, That's absolutely something. unbelievable. So I, I do apologize for those that were trying to listen in on Blog Talk Radio because we got cut off in the last hour, and I don't know why. Um, but we will be back here uh, next week, next Friday, hopefully without any major glitches. And uh, we already have some people lined up for here and for the 24th also already. Um, next week, we have your friend Kathy Chamberlain. And uh, we also should be having Dr. Mitch Glazer, who's also with Chosen People Ministry. Uh, he's an author of many books on Christianity, Judaism, and the Middle East. We have our guy from the Epic Times, Mark Tapscott, coming in. So I don't know what happened to our buddy from um, Heritage Foundation, but he seems to be yeah, missing to? today. Because uh, I know Tom had... Uh, had uh, confirmed him with me earlier, and it's like, all right, another Paisano, Lieutenant Colonel uh, James Carafano, was supposed to be with us, but uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, tell him he's late for roll call. That's what I'm going to have to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's just about all I have today. Um, I don't know what I was going to say next. <laughs> Completely forgot. Oh, jeez. Went right through my <laughs> completely out the well, window. Well, you know, we didn't we we didn't do the dedication song. I don't think at the beginning of the show um, because Jennifer was there. No, no, we did not. Uh, but I also wanted to do finish the dedication this morning. Uh, this morning, <laughs> boy, what time of day is it? It's almost dinner time. Um, this afternoon, I wanted a moment of silence, and I thought that was a little bit more appropriate uh, for, <laughs> okay. for the dedication. Um, but anyway, uh, oh, one other thing I pulled out to talk about, um, did anyone watch the Stepanopoulos 
um, interview of Creepy Uncle Joe. <laughs> uh, well, they finally released the no, rest. No, I heard about it. But they released the rest of the transcript. And um, there's a website that has portions of it that were cut out called leftrightiq.com. Leftrightiq.com. Um, it's scary. It is absolutely scary because if you end up reading or watching what was cut out, the inability for Joe Biden to keep a cohesive train of thought. I know I'm doing three hours nonstop talking, so yeah, I lose train of thought. I mispronounce words or whatever. Hey, I, I earned the gray hair. I can mess up every now and then. But mess up on this one on such a major scale, and this is the most powerful leader in the known world. It is scary, folks. And I'm serious. The 25th Amendment should have been evoked and he should be gone. Uh, and then Queen Camilla Mella and Nasty Pelosi should be impeached. I, this, the, our nation is coming to a calamity. And I don't know what to tell you, folks, but I have faith in our nation. But something's got to turn around, and something's going to have to turn around soon. And I don't know what to say or what to do. Uh, just keep on talking my head off and keep on fighting the fight. I'll do that. But holy yes, moly. That's all we can do. Educate people, try to open their eyes, and um, get them to become more involved, you know, and not so, you know, so worried about reality TV when <laughs> – the world around us is, is the true reality, you know? Yeah, yeah. Turn off the social networks, put your smart device aside, and get back out into the real world and put a little realism back into our lives. And uh, you got a lefty friend? Sit down, share a beer or a cocktail or whatever. Have a conversation and find out there really is not much difference between the two sides once we sit down and talk. Oh, yeah, you'll have the rabid fools. You always will have rabid fools. You, you can't do anything with them. Just walk away from them. Just say, you know, you're an idiot, you're an a-hole, whatever you want to say. Just walk away. But work with people you know you can work with. And that's change hearts and minds by being genuine and real. Not this phony crap that we have thrown in our face day and night. This is not Hollywood. This is reality. This is the real world. Let's get ourselves back to work. Let's get ourselves out there. Oh, did you see the uh, college football football games last Saturday? Oh, the the cheering in the uh, crowds. Oh, the the, the 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 new rant, the new wave that is making it through college football stadiums. And I'm waiting for the moment it hits an NFL stadium. Oh, watch those guys <laughs> have those, these socially woke one ones. When they do the wave and you hear F Biden, F Biden. Yeah. I loved it. I, I, loved I follow it. the, of course, I follow the Florida Gators since I'm only 30 miles from there. And uh, my two sons are, you know, alumnus of that, that university. But, I mean, they had like a, a game against a nobody, you know, and still 86,000 people showed up. Yeah, no masks. You have one or two people in the so entire hope, crowd with masks. Yeah. <laughs> no, life is getting there's back to normal. America. Yep, life is getting back to normal. 
and the American people and are see, realized, I don't think they want that. No, they don't. It frightens them. The, the powers that be don't want that. Yep, it, it does. So we're going to end our show with Todd Allen Harrington, because you asked, Curtis. Otherwise, I'd be playing Gary Pecorella. Uh, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So this is Todd <laughs> Allen Harrington. And I better lower this, otherwise it's going to blow someone's ears out. Uh, my name is America. Tomorrow is right. September 11th. And yes, we will not years. be defeated. 20 years. And we're still here in the fight. So everyone, enjoy your weekend. Take some time to remember the cost this nation has paid and what we're still paying. And remember, my name is America. Your name is America. Carry that in your heart. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and what this republic was founded upon and stands for. So until then, I say good night and God bless. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I protect and defend I stand for my respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but their vicious deeds become my finest hour because my name is America. I stand for.
Without 